It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hey, I'm happy you're here. If you have any true scary stories that you would like to have me narrate for you, please email them to DerekWeberSubmissions at gmail.com for consideration. This first story is a quick one, but it's punchy. Alright, so check this out. When I was around six or seven years old, my brother had a friend from school come over for dinner along with his mother and her boyfriend. I don't remember much about the boyfriend except that I didn't like him. He wanted to play airplane with me, you know, where the adult lays on their back with their feet in the air and the kid lays on their feet and acts like they're flying. I mean, he did it in front of everyone and he never tried to get me alone, but I didn't like it. I told my parents that I didn't like him and if I recall correctly, I believe they didn't really care for him either. Needless to say, he never came to our house again. Not long after that, my brother's friend's mom went missing and was later found dead. It turns out, he killed her. I've never gotten over it, and the fact that even as a young child, something about this man just rubbed me wrong still freaks me out to this day. Listen to your gut. There's a reason you get that feeling about a person or a place. Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. I walk most places because, being severely visually impaired, I obviously can't drive. I walk at night during summer, which lasts anywhere from April to October if we're lucky. This is probably not the safest idea, but I'm from Texas, so temperatures of 100 degrees aren't unusual. One of my usual destinations was a convenience store a few blocks from my previous house. I set out one night to get myself some Pepsi and a candy stash. Our town isn't very big and most people drive everywhere. It's very unusual to come across anyone else on my route to the store, but that night a man appeared out of nowhere and started talking like he knew me. He asked me where I was going and I told him. It wasn't unusual for people to keep watch on me because I'm hard of hearing, mostly blind and have forearm crutches. This guy had no reason to be there and was walking way too close to me. I sped up as much as I could since this part of the route is very dark and only has a subway that was closed for the night. He definitely wasn't there for a $5 footlong. I tried to remain calm, though the alarm bells were ringing and I was shaking to the point that I was afraid I'd drop a crutch, which was probably the worst thing that could happen right then especially after he started asking what I liked in the bedroom and 
He could easily have his way with me in the ditch, and no one would know. I felt sick, but I continued my walk. The convenience store I was going to was only 20 yards away, and I knew the guy that was working the graveyard shift. I got safely inside, and my friend handed me a bag to carry my stuff in until I was ready to check out. And when I got up to the register, he began speaking loudly enough that my ears hurt, and I had to turn my hearing aids down because it hurt so bad. Hey, sweets, did you ever find my 3DS? I played along, and he opened the half-door thing, and I sat on the stool like it was normal. Creepy dude came over and slammed his Bud Light and a $10 bill on the counter. After being handed his change, he went outside. He's still out there by the ice machine. After about 20 minutes, he still hadn't left. My friend called his manager, and after explaining the situation, she told him to lock up and to run me home. He did, and he even walked me to my door. I put the key in the door and we stepped inside. He handed me a keychain and showed me how to lock and unlock the pepper spray. My friend told me to call him before I come from now on. He said that creepy guy has been coming in after me for the last four weeks. He left and I made sure every door and window was locked. So, creepy dude, let's never meet again. Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. This probably isn't nearly as scary as a lot of the stories on this sub, but it's definitely one of the creepier things I've ever experienced. This happened some years ago. I think I was 20. I was going on a road trip of a sort with a really good friend of mine and his family. Our destination was a concert in a country next to ours, but we would be stopping at night to sleep in the camper that we were driving in. We hadn't crossed the border yet when we stopped at the first campsite for the night. Now, it seemed like a pretty family-friendly and safe place, so none of us had our guards up or anything. And that night, at about 11 p.m. or so, while my friend and his family were getting ready for bed, I went outside to get some fresh air. Our camper was almost completely next to the beach, so I went down to the shore to dip my feet and get some much-needed quiet time just by myself. On the way there, I passed by a beach shack, a detail that will be important later. As I stood there, letting the waves lap over my feet, I noticed the silhouette of a man further down the beach, but it was a public space for campers, so I didn't really think much of it. After being absorbed by splashing in the water with my feet and enjoying the moonlight, I decided to make my way back. Of course, it was very dark given the late hour, but I don't scare easily. Now, as a woman in the modern world, I usually do stay on my guard after dark, but that thought never occurred to me since I felt I was in a safe environment so close to the campsite. Anyways, 
As I was walking back, I noticed that the silhouette of the man further down the beach was gone, but even more worrying was the fact that I was nearing the beach shack I saw that someone seemed to be trying to hide from my view behind it. Immediately, I was on alert and called a friend that I knew would be awake. I gave the shack a wide berth while talking loudly to my friend about how she was coming to meet me. After not too long, I got safely back to the campsite and hopped in bed in the caravan. I didn't tell my friend or his family because even though I was scared, there could have been many logical, non-threatening explanations to what I saw. I put it out of mind and the rest of the trip went off without a hitch. About a year or so later, I was talking to my friend about the trip and suddenly I remembered the creepy experience. As I told him, he slowly got pale though and told me something his brother had told him and his family over breakfast some months after the trip. That same night, after I had gotten back and gone to bed, his brother had gotten up late at night to get some water, but when he passed the window right by his bed, he saw a man standing right there outside looking in the window. As soon as he was seen, the man left, but it definitely creeped out the brother a lot, but just like me, he seemed to put it out of his mind. Now, with both of those stories, it doesn't seem far-fetched that the man hiding by the beach shack had followed me back. I really am scared to think about what would have happened if I had been alone. For those of you who frequent this sub, the fight or flight response is one that's discussed frequently. Later, this term was updated to fight, flight, or freeze to better encompass the range of human responses to acute stress. Luckily for me, I've never been a freezer. However, that doesn't mean that I always choose one of the other two responses either. Instead, when I'm under stress, my brain goes into overdrive, rapidly throwing up possible solutions to my current problem. The more stressed I am, the faster it ticks. It was early evening in the late 2000s. I was in college, walking home from class along a busy street in the crappy neighborhood that was all I could afford to live in at the time. Out of nowhere, a car pulls up right next to me and slams on the brakes. Get in the car. The driver yells out the window at me, immediately aggressive. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I take in the scene. It's an old, small, beat-up red car. Four passengers, all young guys, relatively fit. I'm badly outnumbered, and this is not good. The two up front are leaning forward in their seats, staring at me, agitated, most likely on something, I can't see much of the guys in the back except that they're crammed in there. Front two aren't wearing seat belts is really not good. On top of that, despite other people being around, I'm in a neighborhood in a city where people don't stop to help, they don't call the cops, and don't get involved when they witness violence or crimes. No one walking past has slowed down or even turned our way. Again, really, really not good. In the couple seconds that it takes me to soak all of this in, the driver decides to fill the silence. Get in the car. I said, get in the car now. We're going to a party and you're coming with us. Even more aggressively than before. Oh boy, 
There goes my brain. Tick, 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 tick. This tone, this manner, this guy is expecting me to refuse. It's like he's just waiting for me to escalate the interaction. This was before I was active online. I had never heard of incels or MRAs or any of that stuff, but this guy is acting like a guy who's sick of girls refusing his advances. He's had enough, and this time, he's going to put his foot down. My brain is, again, throwing up every possible response that I can make, playing out the most likely outcome, and knocking them down one by one, and finally, it lands. Though I wouldn't know what it was called until many years later, I had just discovered fawn mode. My face cracks into a huge smile. Oh my god, that sounds like so much fun. Suddenly, I drop the smile to a look of devastation. Oh no, but I can't today. I've got a dinner with my family. Oh, this sucks so much. I would so rather go to a party, but thanks for inviting me. I start slowly walking up the street, not breaking eye contact, smiling and waving while still trying to close the distance that I'd have to dash if stuff hit the fan. The car creeps along, keeping pace with me. The driver now sighs. He says, just get in the car. Far less aggressive now, and I can't believe that this is working. I lean into the ditzy persona that I've now adopted. I say, I'd love to, really. I want to go so much. But my family's waiting for me just up the street, and you guys are so nice. I hope you have such a good time. Next time, for sure I'll go. You guys are super fun, right? Yeah, I can tell. The driver's posture is becoming less tense. His grip on the steering wheel is more relaxed. And is that the beginning of a reluctant grin lifting from the sides of his mouth? He likes the flattery. I'm thinking to myself, damn girl, you might just be able to talk your way out of this one. Yeah, you guys look super fun. A party with some cute fun guys? I'm so there. Call me for the next one. I stick my thumb and pinky to the side of my head and start nodding at them. You have to call me, alright? The passenger starts nodding back first and finally slumps back in his seat. Yeah, yeah. I keep chattering. Have so much fun though. Have extra fun for me. I hate that I can't be there. The driver finally leans back in his chair and smiles. Yeah, alright. Next time. And he finally drives off. These guys seem to have forgotten that they don't know me from Eve and don't have my number. I wave at them, wait for them to be out of sight, and then I finally breathe a sigh of relief. I power walk the last few hundred meters home, and I go upstairs to tell my roommates, Matt and Lisa, what just happened. I probably don't need to mention that living in that city is getting old. My boyfriend, who's a 23-year-old male, and I, a 23-year-old female, recently decided that we wanted to take the new tent we bought on its first trip. The tent was one that hooks up to your car to provide more storage space, and we were excited to try it out. We had planned a kayaking trip the next day at a kayak rental shop. It was supposed to be a nice, inexpensive, outdoorsy weekend getaway. We tend to book things at the last minute, so all the state parks and professional campgrounds were full. This led us to a website that's essentially an Airbnb for campsites. 
The place we chose was a 100-acre property just 20 minutes south of the kayak shop. Of all the sites in the area, it was described as having working bathrooms, showers, and allowed for campfires, and all the sites were car accessible, which is important for a car-dependent tent. This site was also the most reviewed in the area with three 5 out of 5 star reviews. The area was very rural, so we didn't think much about the low number of reviews for many of the campsites. The renter was Mary, who only ever texted us updates, but seemed sweet. We start our two-hour drive a bit later than we anticipated, which put us behind the 11 a.m. time we had originally informed the host, but we tried to keep her updated with the new schedule. She just told us to let her know when we arrive at the address that she sent us. We arrived to the address and are greeted with the barn from the pictures and had string lights all over it. It seemed fairly new and just gave a nice feel. We sit in the car for a minute and we struggle with cell service to text the host to let her know that we had arrived. Ten minutes after our text sends, a sweaty man who appears to be in his 60s pulls up in an ATV. He lets us know that he's the father-in-law to Mary and she's busy taking care of the seasonal harvest and sent him instead. He lets us know that we can take the car anywhere on the property and offers to show us around in the ATV. My boyfriend, who's visibly uncomfortable, declines the offer and asks a few more questions about the woods and how far into them we're allowed to take the car. He says anywhere, there are no designated campsites. We can go anywhere, and the ATV man even offers to help pull my car out if it gets stuck. We ask one final question about the cell service, and he jokes that if we're from around here, we'll understand that reception works better on one side of the barn than the other. Well, I am from around here, and I thought that was funny, but once he said that, I realized he didn't have any ounce of an accent for here like he should. Eventually, he leaves and we begin exploring the property on foot. The barn is nice and maintained. It was fully lit in the middle of the day with the string lights decorating the interior as well. It's insulated and has a working kitchen. The only warning we got was to not drink the water. It seemed like a place that would host small 50 guest weddings. We walk past a shed out behind the barn to get to the trails that ran through the woods and after going through a hike that my car would have never survived, we decided it might be best just to camp by a small creek, and we chose a spot on the side opposite of the barn. We were still within walking distance, but we used my car as a buffer to feel more isolated. We choose our spot and then go into the main town to eat and walk around. We message Mary about the fire policy, and she tells us that they'll deliver a fire ring to the barn for us to take to camp. We arrive back at the barn about an hour and a half from nighttime. We drive by the barn and the lights have been turned off. We assume it was on a timer as to not waste energy or money. We also notice the firing had not yet been delivered. We start the grueling 30 minute setup in the sticky heat and reward ourselves with a sit in the air conditioned car. We notice it looks like it's about to rain so my boyfriend and I pull out a card game and wait for it to pass. It only lasted about 10 minutes, but it's starting to be sunset now too. The tent held up nicely, so we felt okay leaving it for a second, 
needing to use the bathroom, we start walking to the barn. As we cross the creek, we hear what sounds to be like someone in the shed moving things around. A bit unsettling, but I tell my boyfriend that maybe they used equipment today and it's just sitting in there making the cracking cool-off noise that it sometimes does. We get to the barn and the lights are still off, but the fire ring is there. We go in and check to make sure the power is off and it's not just the lights outside, and none of the light switches work, so we assume the power is actually cut. Again, maybe it's just on a timer. No worries. We step out of the barn and get 10 feet away and we hear a hum in the distance to the opposite side of the shed. The power to the barn is restored. We change direction to use the bathroom. As soon as we step inside, the power cuts. I start to get a weird feeling and I can tell he has the same feeling too. I look to my boyfriend and say, maybe they're just watching us. I immediately follow it up with, no, that's a lot worse. We walk back outside and turn the lights on. My boyfriend says that we need to leave and I have that same gut-wrenching primal fear. We put the ring back by the barn since we had moved it 10 feet and the barn lights started flickering. We briskly walk back to the car. Being from Appalachia, I know better than to run. The 30-minute setup was torn down and packed up in 5 minutes and we jump in the car and lock it. I managed to get my car going, thanking God that the rain did not get my car stuck. We start toward the driveway and just as we made it to the road, my boyfriend looks back and sees a man standing by the shed, watching us. As soon as my car pulls off onto the road, we get a text from Mary letting us know that the fire ring is out by the barn. She also informs us that we're welcome to stay in the barn if the rain had messed up our camping experience. We arrive at a nice hotel, willing to splurge for safety. At this point, it's like 10 p.m. at the earliest. A sweet older lady checks us in. Desperate for validation and just comfort from anyone, we tell her what had just happened to us at the campsite, and she looks shocked. She asks if we'd seen the news lately, which we both respond that we had not. The lady tells us that couples in the state have been going missing. All of them had gone camping. The three couples were truly missing and one was recently found on the side of the freeway slashed to near death. They are, to the time of this posting, still recovering in the hospital. We couldn't find many articles about where in the state, but the look on the lady's face suggested that it was near us. We get to our room and text Mary back to tell her that we're not staying. All we get back is a text that says, Thank you for staying with us. We lock the door and I break down into tears. I will not forget the feeling that I got in that barn. The primal fight or flight feeling and the feeling of being watched. I feel it in my throat just writing this. I never want to experience that again. So... To the man by the shed who watched us drive away, let's never meet. So this happened to me when I was 11 or 12 years old. It was over a decade ago and I still remember it vividly. At the time, I lived in a semi-detached house with my mom, my dad, and a sibling, it was decent-sized, but the most impressive part was the garden, which 
essentially had three levels. The first level was concrete, the second grass, and the third was also grass, and that had my trampoline on it. At the very end of the garden was a tree embankment. The area that I lived in was somewhat hilly. One morning, I woke up to a cracking sound, like a snapped branch, and I was worried since a week earlier a tree from the embankment had fallen onto our neighbor's garden. My bedroom was at the back of the house overlooking the garden, so I opened the curtains to see if another tree had fallen. Instead, I saw a guy hiding in one of the trees in the garden. He was pale with blonde hair and wearing all black clothing. He was looking directly at me, presumably because he saw the curtains move. He started smirking and moved his finger in a come here motion. I totally freaked out and I shouted for my mom and my dad to come into my room. I was so scared I physically felt like I couldn't move. This was super early in the morning, by the way, around 5 a.m., so it took my dad a good 30 seconds to get into my room, at which point the stranger had already hidden behind the trees. I remember being really shaken up, and I was crying while I told my dad what happened. He went out into the back garden to see if he could spot the guy, but he was gone by that point. A bit of time passed, and I started to forget about it. Then... About three months after that, my mom and I were watching TV together after I'd finished school. The doorbell rang and my mom went to answer it. I looked out the window of the living room where we were sat and I saw a white van parked outside. It was the same van as my uncle's, so I walked out of the living room and into the hallway expecting to meet him. When I got to the porch where my mom was stood, I realized it wasn't my uncle. It was the same guy I had seen in the garden just a few months prior and it really freaked me out. He noticed me as I walked behind my mom and he gave me the same smirk as when he was in the garden. I wanted to say something to my mom but I couldn't. I was freaking out inside. Anyway, he just asked my mom if she needed any work done on the driveway and she said no so he got back into his van and drove off. He didn't give her a business card or anything, and the van didn't have any company branding and he didn't knock on any of our neighbor's doors. I told my mom that it was the same guy I saw in the garden as soon as he left and she started to feel uneasy about the whole situation too. A month or so after I got my first job doing the paper round, I had to deliver over 300 papers with my best friend at the time. It was getting towards winter, and it was dark by like 4.30. We'd been doing the job together for around a month, when the one evening after school it was super dark and rainy, we were halfway through delivering the newspapers, and a van started following us. It was driving really slow, at the same pace we were walking. We realized that it was following us after about a minute, and we started to panic, as I noticed it was the same guy again. We left the newspaper trolley and started walking quite fast up the hill, and we were about a ten-minute walk from my house. I rang my mom, who made me stay on the line while she left the house to meet us. She told us to go to the corner shop that we were about a minute away from. When we made it to the shop, the van sped off really fast. The police were called, who came to my house for a report, and we told them everything. This was the last time... I ever saw that creepy stranger, but 
I still remember what he looked like so vividly. I went out with two of my sisters to Detroit because we love urban exploring when we can and we wanted to check out the abandoned zoo on Belle Isle. There's a pretty cool little covered bridge that we stopped at in the park and there was this guy there just kind of hanging out. He was very well dressed, friendly looking, and he started talking to us, casually asking us where we came from and where we were going. He mentioned that he was a photographer, and when we asked where his camera was, he said it was in his car. As he kept talking, he was really emphasizing how he was married and had children, but there was no ring on his finger. He was particularly interested in my older sister, who's a blonde, whereas I am a brunette. I'm not sure if this is relevant, but it was pretty clear he was mostly interested in talking to her. I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention at the time, but when he left, my sister told me she got really bad vibes from him and thought he was lying about everything. Ultimately, we didn't go into the abandoned zoo because we realized we told him that's where we would be and he said he would also be taking pictures there later, coincidentally. This may just be nothing, but intuition tells me that we made the right decision not to explore that day. Also, pro tip, never ever tell strangers where you'll be, especially if you're going somewhere abandoned. Alright, so check this out. I went to the movies this weekend, and afterwards, I stopped by the ladies' room along with everybody else. When it was my turn, I was near the back of the line, Several stall doors opened simultaneously and I had my pick. One lady, referring to the stall that she had just left, said, Don't go in that one, it's out of paper. So, I went into the one next to it. I had been near the end of the line for the bathroom, so the noise from people washing their hands and flushing had died down. I heard someone go into the stall next to me and close the door, I felt the door close, the way one does in a bathroom with side-by-side -side stalls. Everything shakes for a moment, and you can hear the latch close. I heard her sigh and shift around, but I didn't see her feet or anything. She was in the stall without paper, and I was stuck between extreme shyness and knowing that due to the bathroom code, she would probably ask me for some toilet paper. Then, I thought of a solution. I quickly flushed and stood up. I rolled the paper down from the dispenser until it was almost touching the floor, so the person in the stall next to me could see it and grab it if they wanted to. Satisfied that I wouldn't have to talk to a stranger, but they would still have the paper if they needed, I left the stall to wash my hands. As I turned on the water, I glanced behind me in the mirror to see if she'd figured out to grab the toilet paper from my side of the stall but I was shocked to see that her stall door was open and there was nobody there. There was nobody left in the bathroom at all. It was a weird feeling, sort of like the sound draining out of the room as I stared, unbelieving. Where did she go? She didn't have time to leave. Since there was no one else in the bathroom at this point, I would have heard her. The whole thing took place in about 20 seconds from the time she closed the door to the time that I left my stall. 
and never heard or saw her stall door open, didn't hear any feet leaving the bathroom, and didn't hear the main bathroom door open or close, and on top of everything, this happened while I was away on vacation. Being as shy as I am, I was hyper aware of my surroundings because I was trying to sense the culture of the locals and just fit in, so I was paying attention more than usual, if that makes sense. If I hadn't recently learned about this sub, I would probably have blown this off as just me being spacey or something, like I've blown off other situations in the past that I couldn't explain. I still can't explain this one, but at least I know I'm not the only one who experiences these kinds of things. First of all, sorry about my English if it's not perfect. English isn't my native language, but I'll try to make this understandable. This happened to me today, and after a couple of hours of trying to find a logical explanation for this, I came to a conclusion that I just can't. Later, I remembered reading these glitch stories from Reddit some time ago, so I thought I could make my first Reddit post and share this event with you. Here's some background information to make this a bit more clear. I'm a 20-year-old guy, still living with my family, that's my mom, my dad, my little sister, and our dog, which I'll call Molly. Molly is a Newfoundland dog that loves winter and spends most of the days, and sometimes even nights, in our backyard, sleeping and chilling in thick snow. Today, in the afternoon, I was home alone and Molly was sleeping in the snowy backyard, like always. Suddenly, I remembered that in the morning I promised my dad to pick up groceries before he comes home from work. It was already 4pm, about a half an hour before my dad usually comes home. I grabbed my keys and looked outside of our living room window to see Molly still peacefully sleeping on the snow. I thought about letting her sleep there since I would only be away for half an hour, but then decided to take her inside to get some food and water. I opened the door and called her to come in, only to see the most disappointed dog face ever. Newfies really love the freezing cold air. I finally managed to lure her in with some snacks and locked the door. I was about to leave and walked through the hallway to the front door. Molly followed me all the way, looking extremely sad to be left alone. I told her I would be back in a minute and slowly closed the door, still talking to Molly as the gap fully closed. The last sight of Molly's snowy paws stuck to my mind, and I remember being irritated thinking that I have to dry the whole house with a towel after all that snow has melted on the floor. I started walking towards the car and immediately saw my dad driving into our yard. I waited outside my car as he parked and got out of his car. He told me he had a bit of a shorter day at work and seemed to be frustrated at me for leaving at the last minute. I told him I just took Molly inside and she'll be waiting for him behind the door. She usually hears the car coming and goes to wait behind the door. I saw my dad opening the door as I was slowly driving away from our yard, expecting to see a happy Molly welcoming him. But Molly wasn't there, which was a bit weird to see, but I didn't think much of it. Dad stepped in and closed the door after giving me a seemingly surprised look from not meeting Molly right away. I left and thought to myself that Molly probably went to the kitchen to eat or drink water and just ran to my dad right after the door was closed. I was away for about a half an hour and when I got back inside, 
I saw my dad brushing Molly's fur in the living room. As I was putting groceries in the fridge, my dad asked me why I told him that Molly was inside. I quickly answered, saying that I took her inside right before I left, like I had said before. I didn't really understand what my dad was trying to ask me. He said that when he came in, he saw Molly barking behind the backyard door, wanting to be let in. We argued for quite some time, me telling him that I clearly remember Molly sitting behind the door with her snowy paws and sad face just a minute before he got in, and him telling me that she was barking behind the closed door in the backyard. I then asked about snow or water on the floor, and Dad said there was nothing on the floor, not even the smallest puddle. Some of you may know how badly wet snow can stick to the long fur of a dog that's been rolling in it. Considering the size of an adult Newfoundland dog, that amount of snow melted into water looks like it's been poured from a bucket. I have no idea what happened. I wasn't intoxicated or significantly tired, and there's no mental illness in our family. Also, my dad never lies, and even if he did, what would have been the point in that? Was this a glitch in the Matrix? I think this belongs here as one of several temporal anomalies I've experienced. In Christmas of 1992, I received a franked envelope with an old-style stamp on it through my door, addressed to me at my then-address. On opening, I found it was a Christmas card wishing me a happy Christmas 1944, with a return address which was nearby from a married couple that I'd never heard of. I asked various friends of mine whether they had pranked me, but they all denied it. I suppose one of them might have been lying. However, even if it was a practical joke, I don't understand how the person concerned could have got the card franked and obtained an envelope, unfranked, wartime stamped the card from 1944. All of them looked new. The envelope was of a different texture of paper, but it wasn't old, just differently textured, suggesting a different kind of paper-making technology where the grain of the paper was more obvious and slightly coarser than I was used to in the 1990s. I can't find the card now, and I can't remember the names, but I can remember the location of the alleged address from which it was sent. This links somewhat to a couple of other musical temporal oddities. My recollection of Dire Straits' Walk of Life was that it appeared on every Dire Straits album as a kind of superstitious good luck charm from 1978 onward and was released as a single in the late 70s rather than 1985. Also, Tears for Fears' Sowing the Seeds of Love was released in 1982, not 1989, as a single. In both cases, when I first heard them on the radio, I was able to sing along verbatim and with the tune exactly right and thought the radio station was playing an oldie. In the case of Sowing the Seeds of Love, since it was inspired by the events of the 1987 general election, this makes very little sense. I realize it's a pastiche of psychedelia, but that's not it. I remembered it clearly as a 1982 single. My take on all of these events as they happened was this, and I've mentioned this elsewhere on this subreddit. Our consciousness is confined to this lifetime, and we can't admit non-existence as part of our being. 
So the events from before our conception and after our death do not exist for us. Instead, time appears to loop subjectively for us, and our experience of dying will be immediately followed by the beginning of consciousness in the womb. Because this is an infinite loop, we are occasionally able to recall memories which seem to be from the future. That's my explanation for the music, although the time period concerned is much shorter than my lifespan. As for the Christmas card, I have reason to believe my body includes an earlier cell line than the one initiated by my conception, which began in 1944. But I don't know. I'm open to explanations, spooky or otherwise. Okay, so I have a few different weird glitchy stories, but I'll start with this one. For a few years, my husband and I lived in West Virginia in this little town called Eleanor. Sort of weird in its own way, but that's not part of the story. Now, those of you who have heard of Mothman would know that Point Pleasant is also in West Virginia, and my husband and I would drive there every so often from Eleanor, taking the longer but less traveled way down the 62 through Buffalo and a number of small, unincorporated towns. Some of these were nothing more than a long, closed grocery store and a couple of double wides. Anyway, so on the road past Buffalo, heading to Point Pleasant, there was some sort of glitchy area, but only in one direction. Just past the town of Leon was an area of basically mountain on one side, drop on the other. At a certain spot, I could show it to you if you were there, the radio would start cutting out, doing that static, whiny thing like it was trying to find the station, both coming and going. We just figured it was the mountain messing with the signal, which would make sense, no biggie, and we ignored it. When we drove home from Point, though, based on the time it took us to get there, we figured to arrive home at a certain time, and when we got there, we noticed we were 12 minutes earlier than we expected. Of course, I was just driving faster, right? Except I didn't think I was. That area is one you don't want to go over 55, really. But I also don't like to go too slow, so I would want to keep it around 50 the whole time. So, we tested it. A couple of weeks later, we had a reason to be in point again, and again took the back way through Buffalo and Leon. We logged the time passed out of Buffalo and the 35 mile an hour limit, and I maintained 50 the entire remaining distance to the Tiger Mart just outside of Point. We stopped at the Tiger Mart, logged the time immediately, and got a drink. On the way back home, we stopped at the Tiger Mart again, grabbed a drink, logged the time, and we headed off. And we made sure to log the time right when we stopped, rather than after we went in for drinks, and right before we drove off, as to not skew the time we were actually on the road. Anyways, I maintained 50 miles an hour all the way to Buffalo, where we stopped and logged the time. The return trip was 12 minutes shorter again. We did this several more times, almost like a scientific experiment, and every time the return trip was 12 minutes shorter. And if we had the radio on, it would mess up just after Leon for several miles. Again, 
this could be the mountain and not glitch related, but I included it because the first time it was the radio that caught our attention. I don't know why this happens, I just chalked it up as another weird thing about wild and wonderful West Virginia. This story's called Missing Phone Charger. Okay, I know the title sounds lame because everyone loses their phone charger, and I've definitely read crazier stories on here, but hear me out. One day, I cleaned my entire apartment. One thing about me is that when I get in this certain cleany mood, I get very perfectionist and everything is spotless. So when I needed to unplug my charger to plug something else in, I remember thinking to myself that maybe I should put the charger in a drawer, but I knew that I would be using the charger again later that day and plugging it back into the same plug, so even though it irked me just a little, I just put the charger on the floor below the outlet. When I went back to use my charger, though, it was gone. I looked in the drawer where I considered putting it, thinking maybe I just didn't remember, but it wasn't there or anywhere in my room. I was home alone, so it couldn't have been someone else using it. I started looking all over the house and would periodically go back to where I knew I left it. I looked there probably four or five times and it was never there. I really started thinking I was crazy because I remembered having the debate in my head about whether to put it on the floor or to put it in a drawer and purposely leaving it on the floor. That again was spotless, it wasn't like it was a messy room with stuff all over the floor and it was hidden under something. Well, as I'm looking around the apartment, I go to check the spot yet again and what do you know? It's back, exactly where I had put it on the ground below the outlet. I've told people in my life before and nobody believes me. They think that it had just maybe slid under the dresser magically or that I didn't see it. But I 100% knew exactly where I left it, that it wasn't there for about a half hour, and then it reappeared exactly where it was. Hmm. Now, before anyone says anything about how I must have left it home, no, I didn't, because I know for a fact that I had it with me while I was out. I literally saw it fall out of my pocket into the vehicle and onto the flooring, but just left it because I didn't want to waste time picking it up. Half an hour later, I came back into the vehicle and I was getting ready to leave. I was set on getting it, but for some reason I couldn't find it. I know it was there somewhere, but after checking top to bottom, I was positive that it went through a crack in the door or got stuck in the seats themselves, which unfortunately is hard to dig into, but something small, like my AirPod case, would be able to slip in. I gave up and thought, oh well, that's a shame. Today just wasn't my day at all. Weird occurrences just be happening. However, five years later, and I just got home, I went into my room and I thought, what are the odds that it's here? And well, sure as heck it was. It was on my bed under my blanket. I don't know how it got there. I don't know who put them there, but it definitely wasn't me. Not only that, but the case is at 100%. It wasn't fully charged when I left earlier in the day. It was just halfway. So how did I lose my AirPods case and who charged them? 
Two months ago, I decided to get into herb gardening. I went to Home Depot and bought eight plants and a pair of bright pink gardening gloves. I got them home and unloaded all of those items from the trunk of the car onto a plain wooden bench in my garage. I carried the plants upstairs two by two and then came back for the gloves, but they were gone. I looked on the floor by the bench, in the car, upstairs with the plants, and no gloves. My boyfriend checked the same locations several times as well, no gloves. I checked my Home Depot receipt, and I had paid for them, and I decided they must have unfortunately missed bagging at Home Depot and gotten left behind. I moved on with my life and forgot about them. Fast forward to last weekend. My boyfriend and our friend were working on my car in the garage. I went outside to see how it was going, chatted with them for just a bit, and out of the corner of my eye, suddenly, I noticed something bright pink. It was the gardening gloves on the wooden bench exactly where I remembered leaving them, and exactly where both my boyfriend and I had searched fruitlessly two months ago for. Part of me wants to explain it away by saying my boyfriend and I somehow just didn't see them, but they're like neon pink on a wooden bench, so I don't know. So weird, and such a small and insignificant glitch, but they came in super clutch today when I had to plant two more plants, so I'm not mad about it. Alright, so check this out. This was just a few weeks ago. Me and my friend took up the hobby of exploring abandoned buildings and urban exploring in our free time because we just found it to be fun and interesting. We're from Long Island, New York, where MS-13, the deadliest street gang in America, mainly operates out of some of the towns here. I was browsing around the internet for nearby places to explore for fun when I came around to the Pilgrim State Psychiatric Center in Brentwood, New York. We didn't put much thought into it and we just went. We parked in a parking lot from a good distance and started to walk through the woods to get there. I had done this before with other places and had never had this strange feeling before. Just the walk over, I felt uneasy like I never have before. There was trash everywhere and dirt mounds that seemed like they could have been dug up. We finally came around to the building which was conveniently easy to enter. When we entered we were greeted by dirty mattresses that seemed to have been placed there on purpose. We didn't talk to each other about how we felt because we didn't want to seem like wimps probably. We went through the entire building seeing many mattresses and old shoes. We got up to the top and of course it had just gotten dark out and we had a long walk back once we got out. We go back to the bottom of the building and we lose our way. The only way out was walking over a plank over an abyss. But that isn't the bad part. We crawl out through a window and start walking along the road to get back to my car. Two cops see us while they're driving around and come over to talk to us. You really shouldn't be going in there after dark, they said, and they let us go. We laughed it off and got back to the car. My friend called his cousin to tell him about what we did. He told us that MS-13 operates out of there and that we're lucky to be alive. I look up Pilgrim State Murder 
and sure as heck, I see that multiple teens have been murdered there and in the woods where we walked through initially. Cops had dug and searched the woods before to find missing teenagers, so I connected the dots between that and the mounds of dirt that I saw before. I went to bed that night shaking about the thought that I could have been killed for entering their territory. If you want, you can look it up. It's Pilgrim State MS-13 Brentwood, or something like that. So, to MS-13, please, let's not meet. My friend and I had decided one summer night to go to this place called The Slaughterhouse. Where I grew up, there was a lot of urban legends about this place and the road it was on, which was Empire Mine Road. The road was located in the Bay Area of California, and the road was shut down after many accidents had happened and it was deemed unsafe, although it was still open as a walkable trail. Well, we had decided to go alone. And I know two youngish girls at night at an abandoned place. Not the smartest. Anyways, in the past, we had gone in a group of four or five people and always found other explorers there, so... We didn't think much of it, and we felt pretty safe. I had brought a film camera with me, hoping to capture something possibly otherworldly on film to serve as evidence. I also brought my pocket knife, just in case there was a need and for peace of mind, because homeless people sometimes hung out down there and were always spreading rumors of satanic rituals, although I knew the ritual rumor was most likely BS. We started the 20-minute walk to the slaughterhouse itself, and this time, it felt really different. About a minute or two into the walk, I felt heavy with dread and fear, but I didn't want to say anything and creep out my friend or seem like I was chickening out. We made it up the final turn to a straightaway where it sounded like we were next to a freeway, but at this point, we were at least a mile off from the nearest road. The loud sounds of cars and car doors closing were supposedly the remains of all the accidents that happened along that road, but I wasn't so sure. I just figured sounds were being carried with the wind from faraway freeways and roads. We made it down the final stretch and we hopped the fence and we were on the property. The place was very different from the last time. It looked as if it had been burned and the buildings were blocked off by rubble so there wasn't really much to do. I walked to buildings I had photographed at a previous visit for comparison and began joking to my friend as I started feeling a bit more comfortable. I don't remember what I was exactly doing, but I turned my back on the building. My friend stared at me and dead seriously was like, come here now. And I walked over. I said, what's the matter? Apparently, she had seen a dark figure with red eyes behind me. I didn't personally see it, so I don't know if it was to scare me or not, but as I stepped towards my friend, I saw a dark truck traveling the road that we had just walked on. This was really weird because the road was gated off, and we parked in front of the gate, which meant no one can come through without actually moving our car. And our car hadn't been moved, so it would be nearly impossible for a car to get through the gate. The truck was dark and barely visible with no lights on and it didn't make any sound like road or engine noise at all. This dark truck pulled up to the gate that we had hopped and we heard yelling to get off my property. 
We couldn't see anyone in the truck, and it was barely lit up, like I said. As soon as it was there, it was gone, and with no sound either. Neither of us saw a gun, but we both swore that he had one. It was like, let's get out before whoever or whatever comes back. I nearly ran the mile back, and I'm not somebody to run. Once we hit the final stretch, I could see what looked like police lights. We told each other to just remain calm and we'd be fine. Once we got there, the police greeted us politely and we returned the politeness, hoping to score some points. They said that they had received a jumbled up call that was very odd, but what they caught was that there were people on the road. They seemed to be confused by the call as we were. My friend had said we were just walking the road to see the place at night and never actually hopped the fence and thank God they believed it. After a few insulting remarks of us being two females on a road at night, we were on our way. We stopped at a well-lit gas station to catch our breath and agreed we'd never do that again. I no longer live near this area, but after that I swore I'd never go back, certainly not at night. I still think about this night, and everything that happened perplexes me. I told myself that it was just the owner, but it just doesn't make sense how they could have gotten through our car and that gate, and the confusion that the police had as well. I don't know, man. In addition, many of the photos I took turned up pitch black, even though I had flashlights and my flash on. I had a few develop and look normal, but I just chalked it up to being bad film, but the same thing happened with the pictures I took on my phone as well. Overall, this experience puzzled me. I was 15, living in the Mojave Desert in Southern California during the 90s. Lots of wide open space and not many people. One weekend, my dad and I took out our dirt bikes via trailer to the outskirts of a very small town called Barstow. It's midsummer, so not a lot of people are out riding, which is typically a common sight. The heat wave may have had something to do with it. After unloading the bikes, we decide to trek for a few hours, keeping track of landmarks and marking trails with red cloth under rocks to find our way back. After some time of riding and refuel breaks, we crest a hill and see a dilapidated cabin. There are many lone buildings in the Mojave, but rarely are they cabins. This place just felt odd right off the bat. So, being the intelligent people we were, we decided to check it out. We opened the unlocked front door while its knob barely hung on. It's a single room, no bigger than a studio apartment, but it's obvious people have been staying there. There were candy wrappers and beer cans everywhere with recent dates. A lone bucket outside reeked of heat-cooked human leavings. There was no furniture but a single wall-mounted bench and a fireplace. The ceiling had lots of people carving names, messages, and the typical hearts with a date and two people's names. I decided to sit on the bench. When I sat, I tucked my feet under the bench and put my toes on their tips onto the floor. When I did this, I felt the floor move. I look at the floor, which is now not attached to the rest of the rotted wood floor, and remove the cutout piece. It's about a two-foot square. I called for my dad, and he looks at the hole with the flashlight from his bike. 
that goes down about seven feet and back far enough for us not to see the end. This is when my dad shows his parental colors. He looks at me and says, well, I'm too fat to check it out. You're going to need to see what's down there. I took this as a challenge, so I climbed down. It's a hallway carved out of the desert bedrock that goes back about 15 feet. I walk along until it opens up into a larger, circular room. The room is empty, but still pretty big. I walk around and I stub my toe. I look down and I see a metal rod fixed into the bedrock with a thick chain end welded on. Hmm. I look at the walls and they had these scratch marks from fingernails. Lots of them. The more I looked, the more I see that there are bits of fingernails actually still in the rock. My eyes water and my heart starts to race. I'm legit freaking out here. I spider monkey right out of the entrance and tell my dad everything while trying not to cry. He looks worried. We get on the bikes and get into high gear. Following those red rags we left as landmarks was the most stressful time I can ever remember having. We get to the truck, load up, and we book it home. Dad hid the truck in the garage for a few days after that to be sure no one recognized it in case we were followed. We never went back, and I don't intend to. We did report it to the police, but never heard anything about it afterward. In high school, my friends and I knew this guy named Gene. For whatever reason, Gene had a habit of telling extremely tall tales centered on himself, just trying to make himself look cooler. The most repeated one was his claim that in a nearby ravine, a coven of druids practiced and were schooling him in ancient magic. He always played them straight, as if they were unquestionably true. He never had any evidence, and they were always said in a matter-of-fact way, as though they didn't need evidence because they weren't the slightest bit unbelievable. Yeah, I'm a druid. A real one, so? Like that. While taking a walk one night, I happened upon a construction site. Being heavily into urban exploration, I explored the heck out of that site and, upon leaving, I tipped their porta potty. I was still a bit immature and, I don't know, I thought it was funny. After that, whenever I found one, well, over it went. One day, I told some friends about it and Gene, ever the showman, chimed in with, Oh, that's nothing. I like to burn them down. Arson was most assuredly not our thing and we knew Gene was full of bull, so we were surprised when, calling his bluff, he offered to prove it by showing us the fruits of his labors. Five of us piled into the car, only one of us had a car, and followed Gene's directions. The site was in a rural area with lots of big hills and dense forest, common in the Pacific Northwest. At a sharp elbow on a two-lane road was a gravel turnoff, leading maybe 100 feet into the woods to a gravel parking lot. This was the starting point for a number of hiking trails. There were no lights there, and the street light out on the road didn't show much through the trees. There weren't any other cars there. One of the trails began past a gate that was designed to keep off-roaders off the trails, and it took a sharp left from the back of the parking lot. The porta potty had been about 30 feet or so up the trail, and 
On a later visit by day, we found out that Jean really did turn it into a puddle of blue goo. That night, we didn't get there. We had a couple of flashlights and we all started up the trail as a group. As far as I can recall, we never heard any noises, animal or human. We got about halfway to the spot and then all of us stopped walking. Somebody whispered, Do you feel that? And we all bolted down the trail, piled into the car and got the hell out of there. Once on the road, we compared thoughts. I felt what everyone else did. The deepest, most intense, raw fear that I've ever felt. It was like we suddenly faced impending death. It clearly indicated I need to leave right this instant. I can only guess there might have been a cougar or something, as they've been known to attack hikers, but we didn't see or hear anything. I've read that if a little voice in your head tells you to do something, it's usually a good idea to listen. Part of me wonders if Jean's porta potty fire pissed off some forest spirit or something. I've been back to that trailhead a few times during the day to show friends where this happened. I've also brought a friend who's sensitive, as they say, but they didn't pick up any vibes. One sunny day in the middle of spring, three of us were bored and decided to go exploring. We headed down an old canyon road. It's pretty popular amongst us locals, and once we parked, we started walking along a relatively flat, old dirt road, overgrown by the long green grass. There were lots of ladybugs, too. It was awesome. There must have been millions of them, all flying towards us as we were just walking along. As we were walking, we noticed an old abandoned house just a little ways off the path, surrounded and covered by oak trees. The small, rectangle, dilapidated house had one of those old wood shingled roofs, featuring much of the same for the siding. The house looked to be from the 20s or 30s era, with an old outhouse in the back. When we stepped up the two or three rotten steps into the house, we were greeted by an old sofa and armchair across from a really cool brick fireplace. In the bedrooms, we found old metal bed frames and mattress springs and stuff like that. The kitchen still had its old cabinetry with its doors hanging off the rusted hinges too. We split up to go explore the house and to take pics and to just generally poke around a little bit more. All of a sudden, we heard a loud thump that seemed to come from everywhere all at once. We all hurried out of the house at the same time and met up outside. As we all gathered outside, we shared the look of, what the frick? We sat outside and chilled just for a little while, calming down and chatting. It was a beautiful day out, 70s with chirping birds and chattering insects. As we sat in the overgrown, wispy grass amongst the green lupins, we decided that we were idiots and we just heard a tree branch hit the house or something. So, we headed back inside to explore a little more and I ended up sitting by myself in one of the condemned bedrooms. I decided to relax and just take a minute to chill. I was leaning back against the wall opposite an old rusted out mattress and frame with my eyes closed, just zoning out. But then, all of a sudden, there were three more loud thumps 
They hit so hard, I felt it in my back that was against the wall. Dazed, I sat up and I didn't know what to do until I heard my two friends talking excitedly from outside. I darted out of the dilapidated front door towards my friends. As I finally got to them, we all just stared at each other with even more confusion this time. As I absentmindedly rubbed the spot on my back that was against the wall, I exclaimed again, What the frick? How the heck should we know what's going on? One of my friends asked. Like we said, it's just a freaking tree branch or something. So we all sat down, feeling defeated by the spooky old house, but yet, once again, we all ended up heading back inside so our friend could finish taking some pictures. My friend and I just hung out in the living room and with the old dilapidated brick fireplace. We checked it out to see if maybe we could find an old stash spot behind one of the bricks or something. And we were busy with this for a while until we both looked up and realized that it was starting to get dark outside. We looked at each other and we were all like, what happened to our buddy? So we start calling out for him and going room to room looking for him. We finally found him sitting outside sitting in what was once a flower garden, still sprinkled with daffodils here and there, amongst the tall grass. Dude, didn't you hear us calling you? You're only like 50 feet away from the house. He said, uh, no, I was actually out here calling for you guys. We all just thought it was weird that we didn't hear each other. After that, we all decided to start walking the one and a half miles back to the car just as we were all standing up and gathering our stuff to leave, we all hear this at the same time. We hear the distorted sound of one of those old rotary telephones ringing. It sounded like it was coming from the house where the living room would be. We all stood there, frozen in place, looking at each other with wide eyes. Naturally, my friend that had been taking all the pictures was all, Shoot! I must have left my camera inside the old house. After a couple minutes of arguing over who was going to go get it, we all just decided to go back in together. When we were back inside, we realized it was getting pretty dark inside too, so we told them to hurry up. I stayed back in the forlorn living room while they all went off looking for the camera. As I was standing there waiting for them, I thought I heard a soft rustling sound coming from the ancient brick fireplace just behind me. But when I turned to look, there was nothing there, so I just figured it was maybe settling or there was a critter or something. Just as I turned back around to walk towards where my friends were, a freaking brick from the fireplace went smashing into the wall right in front of me. Of course, I screamed at the top of my lungs and went running outside, screaming to my friends to get the hell out of there. When my two friends finally came outside, they looked at me confused and asked, what, did you like get a spider on you or something? I relayed to them what had happened, but they didn't fully believe me at first. When I was practically crying trying to convince them, they finally relented. We all agreed that that old house for sure felt very creepy. So we all three quietly began making our way back to the old dirt road and out of there. On our way out, my backpack strap came loose and as I took it off to set it down to fix it, I happened to glance up and back toward the old house. Then I saw what looked to be a dim, flickering light that appeared to be a candlelight in the main living room window that was facing us. I excitedly told my friends to look and they saw it too. In the end, 
Back at the car, we all just figure that maybe it was a homeless person living there or something. But then again, I know I was completely alone in that living room. There was nowhere for anyone to hide by that fireplace. And what about the distorted sound of that old telephone ringing? Alright, so check this out. In the past, I was quite fascinated by all things spooky. I was a horror film buff, I loved a good book about true hauntings, and for many years, I was goth. And during that time, I learned something. Kids are creepy, especially little girls. Although, granted, Damien from The Omen wasn't exactly a ray of sunshine, but Generally speaking, if there's a little girl in a horror film, you know at some point she's going to climb up the walls or projectile vomit over priests. That's just the way it is. Bearing this in mind, I can't deny that when I found out I was pregnant with my eldest, somewhere in the back of my mind, there was this uneasy thought, what if she turns out to be creepy? Of course, The second she was born, that thought vanished entirely and I was completely wrapped up in just how friggin' adorable and perfect and cute she was. She was quite possibly the most beautiful baby in the world. Okay, I know I'm probably just biased, but you get the idea. Not a creepy bone in her chubby little body. That is, until now. She's now coming up on four years old, and she's extremely bright and extraordinarily eloquent for a three-year-old. That means that sometimes she just comes out with things that you wouldn't expect a child her age to say. Up until now, when she said something surprisingly clever, I must admit I do tend to be incredibly proud and a little smug. You know, ha, my child is a genius. What good parents we must be. But... Recently, I've kind of been wishing she wasn't quite so eloquent as some of the random, clever things she's been saying are truly terrifying. I mean, like, stomach-churning, we're-going-to-need-an-exorcist kind of terrifying. It started maybe a month or two ago. She started talking about Leo, her invisible friend. Wonderful, I thought to myself. Imaginary friends are creepy AF, and this is how it always starts in the films. Now, I knew she had a friend at school named Leo, so I just put it down to her having an overactive imagination. Even when she would tell me that Leo had climbed into bed with me and was hiding under the duvet by my feet, I wouldn't let it get to me. It's just harmless play, I would say to myself, and then I would give myself a mental pat on the back for being so sensible and grown up about it. There was a time that I would have freaked out about invisible little boys crawling into bed with me, but not now. No, now I was a fearless mom. Go me. After a few weeks, Sarah showed up. To my daughter, I mean, of course we couldn't see her, just like that cheeky little bed-stealing scamp Leo. So now there were two. Fabulous. But just like she had an actual friend named Leo, she also had an actual friend named Sarah. It was her dance teacher, so again, we just chalked it up to her imagination. All was well in the world with Leo and Sarah. They would chase around the house or have imaginary water balloon fights and hardly ever do anything creepy, like perch on windowsills during the night to watch us sleep. 
Then, a week ago, we had my husband's parents over for dinner, and we were enjoying a nice family dinner when, out of nowhere, my daughter starts talking about her friends, except now there are three. Now there's a Clement. She doesn't know a Clement, and there is no one by that name at her school, and I checked. He's not a character from any of her books or from any of the cartoons that we watch. I have no explanation for Clement, and she's not sure who he is either. Leo and Sarah are brother and sister, but Clement is just naughty. That's all we knew about him. I would have much preferred him to be funny or silly, but no, all he is is naughty. (laughs) Great. And then she just blurts this out. And you know, Leo is dead. Sarah killed him. Dead, just like your granddad, mommy. My mother-in-law and I just stared at each other, not saying a word, but safe to say we all knew what we were both thinking. What the actual frick. My lovely husband senses my absolute horror at what my beautiful angel has just announced at the dinner table and tries to come to the rescue. But it's just pretend, darling, isn't it? He's okay, really. He's not really dead. Well, my daughter says, no, daddy, he really is dead. Sarah killed him. She merrily replies in between two mouthfuls of chips. I felt a bit sick at this point, and I was not looking forward to sharing my bedroom with my daughter and her new mates at bedtime. Yes, my nearly four-year-old still sleeps in our room, but that's a whole nother story. So, As we were getting ready for bed, she starts talking about them again, this time adding that we have an angry lady called Violet living in our attic space. She's always cross and has purple lips. A fun fact about our attic space is it's not actually closed off by a wall. It just has a see-through banister to stop anything from falling out, so I can see everything in our attic that overlooks my bed. I now know I'm never sleeping again. Awesome. And so I said, Sweetheart, can we not talk about them now? They're only pretend. They're not real. And what she said next, and how she said it, will probably haunt me forever. Her face dropped into a scowl. She came very close to my face. She squinted her eyes and said, They are real. And then started laughing and added, They're shouting, Mommy. They're always shouting. Pants change in aisle three. As she grew up, we heard less and less about her invisible friends, but I must admit, not a night goes by that I don't look up into the attic space and imagine an angry Violet staring back at me. Just to update the story a little, last week I heard both of my kids chanting in their playroom. I went to check on them and saw they had put some toys in a circle with a Woody doll in the middle. What are you guys up to? I asked, already dreading the answer. Oh, nothing, Mommy. We're just trying to summon the Woody Demon. Oh, I replied. What is the Woody Demon? I instantly regretted my question when my youngest said, A few days ago, I heard Woody talk by himself, so now we want him to do it again. My kids are little. They shouldn't know anything about demons. It's not like me and my husband talk about anything like that, and how the heck did they know what to chant and how to put their toys in a circle? Have kids, they said. It'll be fun, they said. 
First off, I didn't see it in the pool. It was afterwards. After my sister accidentally kicked my eye in the pool, I decided to pull a prank on her and pretend she gave me a bruised eye. So, I grabbed my mother's makeup palette and did the best I could to fake a black eye, and it seemed believable. I walked up to our upstairs loft where my sister and her friends were hanging out and I showed her my eye, and she obviously freaked out. I made her apologize before she wiped my eye and realized it was just makeup. She punched me and we had a good laugh. I went downstairs to the bathroom to wash it off. As I was bent over to wash my eye, in my peripheral vision, I saw a small, frail boy wearing a striped shirt and boarding shorts. He had a bowl cut and was glaring at me with distorted facial features. Knowing there were no children as young as he looked at this party, I immediately stood straight up and looked towards him. He was gone. I backed up into the corner of the bathroom and looked around the room. My heart was coming out of my butt. I ran out of the room and I told my sister as she helped get the rest of the makeup off of my eye. After a few months had passed, I had completely forgotten about that event, and so had my sister. And one evening, I went into my parents' room to collect a shirt that I had left in there from the previous night. My parents' room and the bathroom are connected by a pair of double doors with frosted glass, just like most of the doors in our house. I found my shirt and was on my way out when I noticed two small handprints on one of the frosted glass panes. I stopped myself to have a, a better look at it. Each handprint was as small as the palms of my hands. I felt shocked. But then I got shivers on every inch of my body as I remembered what happened after the pool party not too long ago. My heart sank and I ran to the kitchen grabbing some cleaning supplies and desperately trying to wipe those handprints off the glass. But because it was frosted glass, it didn't come off at all and somewhat made it even clearer. I decided to ignore the handprints since I couldn't clean them and they're currently still there. To this day, it still creeps me out when I go into my parents' room and especially the bathroom. To anyone listening to this, I would appreciate any thoughts or suggestions, but I write this because I need to right now. It's just too much for me to handle. I'm German and 19 years old. Luckily, I'll be moving out in October, and hopefully it'll get better after. I never really believed in ghosts, nor did I deny their possible existence either. I still think that way, but I'm frustrated and helpless right now. It probably started either in the beginning of August or end of July that my cat would avoid my room. The few exceptions were only for a few minutes and she didn't seem to feel comfortable, but she didn't avoid me. When I was elsewhere, she would go to me and if I came in the room, which used to be by my sister's, where she stayed when she wasn't outside, she purred and wanted to cuddle. I found it weird and was sad about it because I feel lonely and I just like her company. A thing that I want to clarify, just for fairness's sake, I started watching videos about paranormal stuff again in August. I do this every couple of years for a phase, and that's how I found out about this subreddit. 
It probably affected me because for a few days, I had a lot of shivers and was a bit scared sometimes. I'm sensitive and scare easily, which makes everything worse. So, the one August night that started it all. Slightly before falling asleep, the weird state where you're like half conscious, I always felt like I would stop breathing and therefore woke up, so to say, which I had already done a few days before too. It was annoying and exhausting, but also interesting for me because I, well, let's just say I have the tendency to want to eat myself off the planet from time to time, and it makes me realize that I'm actually a little bit afraid of death and I don't actually want to die. Anyways, it happened a few times, but the last time I felt something warm around my neck, for me, it felt like a hand, but it also just could have been this connection that I've made up and my neck was just hot for some reason but it disappeared the moment that I woke up. Oddly enough, the lyrics Nothing Suffocates You More Than the Passing of Everyday Human Events by Marilyn Manson's fight song came to my mind the moment before, even though I rarely listen to Manson. As I already stated, I'm not a native speaker, and I thought, what does suffocate mean again? Ah, right, erstricken. Might be a coincidence, or... It affected me in thinking that I was being strangled. After the warm feeling disappeared, I heard a low-pitched sound. It somehow reminded me of a frog, but probably didn't sound like it at all. The next day, my cat tried to go into my room again, but looked into the corner where I heard that sound, and then they left again. The next night, I obviously was scared, but not enough to tell anyone or not to be able to fall asleep in the room. I either was half asleep or half conscious and I had a dream. I think it was a usual Twitter tweet and I scrolled down the comments. They were all pictures of pale, scary faces with bloodstains, but the last face wasn't on Twitter anymore. It felt like it was right above me, pressing his nose on mine and even moving a bit. Even our lips were pretty much on each other's. I opened my eyes and nothing was there. Actually, I can't remember if I slept this night after this at all. I can't imagine me doing this, but I can't remember going anywhere else that night either. I told my mother about it. I think she's a bit spiritual, but not over the top. Probably like me, but a bit more on the spiritual side. We never mentioned words like ghost, but she said that she wants to clean my room by using sage. I don't really like this idea. I didn't tell her that, but she had been using it sometimes when I was younger. I hate smoke, but nevertheless, I always felt a bit better after she used it. Anyways, she suggested to me that I could either use the room that used to be my sister's or the bed on the other side of the room, which is where my older brother used to sleep and still does when he comes to visit. I chose to sleep on the other bed, but I didn't feel comfortable. I always felt like in the other part of the room where I usually sleep, and the room is halfway divided by props. I'm not sure if that's the right word to use, but I feel like something's creepy and threatening. It was the wrong decision because I obviously was too afraid, but I was able to relax, but then I heard a sneeze behind me that sounded like it was coming from an animal, but it was enough for me to freak me out and 
eventually leave the room and choose to go to my sister's room. It probably was a raccoon or something, but it didn't sound like it came from above, but like it was actually in the room. Until today, I slept in this room without many problems. I just feel a bit uncomfortable and not welcomed, probably because it's just not my room. Additionally, the room is much darker because of the windows. My sister had a lot of stuffed animals and a few porcelain dolls that are all directed to look towards the bed. I hate it, but I can cope with it. I feel very safe if my cat is with me, but she likes to be outside, thus often I don't feel safe. The only thing weird was that sometimes the motion detector lamp would go on for a second or a third time after it was on because I walked by. A couple of hours ago, I saw something, but to me, that was terrifying and it frustrates me a lot. I don't know what to do or where to sleep. I woke up for no reason and saw in the other corner of the room a flying, completely round face. It looked oddly similar to the anonymous mask for some reason. I know it sounds ridiculous and I still can't believe it, but on the one hand, I'm laughing at myself, but on the other hand, it still feels so real again and it just gives me the chills. I saw it so clearly for a few seconds. It wasn't blurred because I could hardly see anything, even though it should have been the case because it was still dark AF. It flew looking down, but while flying slowly, turning into my direction. It looked like it would turn itself around automatically and usually make this endless circle. I wanted to close my eyes, but I couldn't stop staring at it. I was completely terrified and I was breathing really fast. After a moment, it disappeared. And after a short pause of shock and running thoughts, I grabbed my phone and went into the kitchen where I started just writing this. Before I started this paragraph, I talked to my mom because she had went to the bathroom. She really wants to find her sage now, but doesn't know if it's the right thing to do tonight. And she told me something that I actually agree with. She said, even if it's not real, the fear is real. As I started writing this, I still remembered the face very clearly, but now my memory blurs. That's always a problem of mine, but I will always remember my emotions for sure and forever. I just wanted to write it all down. It felt good even though I had so many shivers while writing this. I don't think anyone could help me, but honestly, I'm still interested in hearing other people's thoughts about this. Okay, so my family thinks I'm crazy for this, but when I was little, my great-grandfather passed away, and not to brag, but I was his favorite. I was the only baby he would ever feed, and he would never feed my little brother or my older sister. But a couple of years after he died, he showed up in my room one night, and at the time, I didn't know what death was, so I didn't understand the fact that he was a ghost. We talked every night for a couple of weeks, more about me as I was a self-centered child, so I never asked anything about him or how he was doing. My mom came into my room one night asking who I was talking to. I said, I'm talking to Grandad. My mom said that Grandad isn't here though, referring to my other Grandad, but 
I said no and corrected her on which granddad I was meaning. She didn't really believe me at first and started asking questions about what we talk about and what he was wearing. I said he's always wearing a dressing gown and eating out of one of those bowls that him and Nanny eat pudding out of and he always has a big dolphin torch next to him that he puts on my desk. My mom then instantly believed me because, well, apparently my granddad used to get up in the middle of the night and walk to the kitchen to eat pudding in his dressing gown and would carry a dolphin torch so he didn't have to turn all the lights on and wake anybody up. My mom knew this because she used to live with them when she was a teenager and how was I supposed to know that he had done this? I was only little when he died and when I would have sleepovers there, I was always asleep and didn't know that he got up in the middle of the night to do any of this. But the last night I saw him, I didn't realize at the time, but he wasn't just saying goodnight to me after our usual chats before bed. He was saying goodbye. He made a really big point in telling me that he loves me and that he loves all of his children his grandchildren, and now his great-grandchildren. He also said that he loves his wife, too. He gave me a hug, and the next night I sat up waiting for him to come, but he didn't show. I then came to the realization that he was gone and had passed away. My dad was in the hospital at the moment he was sick, uh, not physically, but mentally. He has bipolar, and I didn't know what that meant and thought he was dying, my mom came into my room that night and asked what happened. I told her, my granddad's gone. He died and left me, and now dad's going to leave me too. And I was bawling my eyes out as she explained everything to me. I don't see him anymore, but I know he's here because, well, I was on a dodgy website watching a movie when my dog started barking at the corner of my room. I tried to ignore it, and then I finally told him to stop and when I went to go play my movie again, it took me to another website. A website about dolphins. I don't know if this was just a coincidence or him trying to let me know that he's here and that it's him. In my early 20s, I start and join a motorcycle club here in the southwest. Our get-together started out as weekend rides out to the canyons and then out to eat at the casino buffets afterwards. As we started to establish ourselves as an actual MC, which is just short for motorcycle club, we began hanging out Thursday nights and started to hit up bars and nightclubs after a ride around town. One of these nightclubs was known to have ladies' night, where a male dancer would come out and strip down to his underwear for about an hour. After, the dance floor would open up and that's when we would go back in from the outside patio area. We became well known around that place. And one night, as I'm walking out to the patio, sipping on my beer, this older lady pulls me to the side. She looks me up and down and asks if we could sit and talk. I agree and we sit outside. She tells me she's friends with one of the girls that's hanging out with one of my boys from the MC. She began to tell me that I have this bright light that walks around with me, like a huge angel taking care of me. She said she just had to talk to me since I walked into the club and my light made the rest fade into darkness. Out of nowhere, 
Before I can reply to her comments about the light, she says, Hey, can I read your hand? You see, I'm a witch, but not a bad one. I only do white magic. And then asks, Why do you think your friend over there has gotten out of so many bad places? While pointing to an MC member. So, the homegirl over here was riding on the sidecar with one of the guys, but he had it on the low low and we didn't even know. This was the first time he invited her to the club to hang out with us. Looking at her and then to my beer, I sip the last of it and put it down and I give her my hand. Now, I can't recall everything that she told me, but there were some things she mentioned that did stick with me. She tells me first that I would be in an accident before the year ended, which was in three months. And yes, I did get into a small motorcycle accident. The second thing that stuck with me was she saw my future kids and my wife. She said, I see two girls and your wife. She has blonde colored hair and it seems like you've known her for a long time or have at least crossed paths with her when you were both younger. Now, more than 12 years later, I'm married to someone that I went to high school with. My wife hates this part of the story because she actually is a brunette, but when I met her, she was a blonde. and She dyes her hair now. The last part of her reading was that I would die of old age, and people get mad when I mention that or joke about it. Now, I've had my share of accidents. I've counted about 13 motorcycle accidents in total, and people around me can't believe that I can still just walk around after all of that. To anyone reading my story, have you had your hand read? Have any of the things mentioned to you actually happen? This is something I experienced shortly before moving out of one of my teenage homes just a couple of years ago. When I was around... 13 or 14 years old, my great-grandmother used to collect dolls. And one of the dolls I took a particular liking to because of how gosh dang creepy it looked. She picked up on it and actually gave it to me not too long before she passed away. Fast forward to the story at hand. My two stepbrothers and I were sitting in the living room chatting late at night, around 1am or so. And for some context, this is a cookie-cutter house, so when you walk in, you basically have to choose between going upstairs or going downstairs. The living room is directly upstairs from the front door. There's a fireplace on the left-hand wall, but not much else to note since it was an open concept. Adjacent to the wall, there was the railing overlooking the doorway area, and in front of the railing is the couch. There's also a television sitting on the ground on the wall opposite to the couch. During our conversation, we got on the topic of childhood paranormal experiences. Joking around, I went and grabbed the doll from my bedroom and I leaned it up on the shelf above the fireplace. I made sure when I put the doll up there that it was leaning securely as to not slip off. Here are some things that are now important. The television is on, but... It's just on the no signal screen, and because we were preparing to move, there are boxes and trash bags piled in front of the fireplace, at least three to five feet out. And we were all sitting on the couch at the time that this happens. In the middle of a story that my younger stepbrother was telling about an experience he had 
in the basement of a childhood home, the doll was flung forward from the shelf, landing a good few feet away from the boxes, meaning it flew six to eight feet away from the fireplace that it was sitting above. And at the exact same time the doll made contact with the ground, the television shut itself off and then turned itself back on. We've never had any electrical issues in that house or with the TV. Needless to say, we just about pissed ourselves. I know people are going to say that it's possible that the doll just fell, but the doll flew forward off of the shelf, even though it was leaning backwards. And things that fall don't typically fall outwards several feet. Let me know what you all think. I've done many paranormal investigations throughout the UK and apart from some odd bangs and voices or a few odd images, I've never had a personal experience. Oh, how Guy's Cliff House in Warwick changed me. I'll start by saying I'm not psychic and I don't have any inclination that way. I start every event I do by not joining in when the groups do their protection for the night ahead. For me, experiencing something is my ultimate goal, that proof to myself that what I believe in is real. We were in a room within Guy's Cliff doing a seance and there was a large table in front of me with chairs all around. We'd take a seat and there was myself, my mother, my brother, and another group member. We each held on to each other's shoulders as we focused and asked questions. Above the table was a small light from the roof, an all-seeing eye which had been accidentally turned on moments before. All seemed to be going well, there were a few odd noises, but really nothing of note. The medium kept asking me if I was okay. She was sat opposite side of the room, and each time my response was, yes, I'm fine. The next thing I remember, I was having her shouting in my ear, telling me to come forward and to not be left alone. Once I had come around a bit, I was told that the hangman tried to come through me to speak. This was the gentleman who would take the person sentenced to death by rope and the person who would ultimately hang them. The reports from everyone was that during the seance, my eyes began to roll into my head and I became unresponsive to any questions that I was being asked. For the rest of the night, for some very strange reason, I couldn't shake the strong urge to go back to that room alone and then just sit and not move. The fallout of this incident meant broken sleep, and I couldn't sleep without lights on for over a month. There's no real explanation as to why, but something in my mind just wouldn't rest about that incident. Alright, so check this out. I recently moved out into an apartment building all the way up on the top floor. My balcony is at the back of the building and the view is mostly trees, but there are some houses and a street directly behind the apartment building so I can see that too. I usually sit out on my balcony at night, getting high and listening to music. At night, the view is just darkness aside from the house porch lights and the road lit up by streetlight. Most of the road view is covered by trees, but I can still see a good amount of it. 
There's also no light from my balcony, so at night I just sit in the dark, aside from the light coming from my phone. So, anyway, I was sitting out there around 10pm or so, like I usually do, and I noticed some movement from the road. When I looked down, I saw someone running down the road, like, really fast. From my distance, it looked like this person was running faster than any human should. I was just watching when this person just stopped under a street lamp. Under the light, I could tell that this person was a man. I also realized that he was now looking up at me. I got nervous, but I didn't move because I thought I could just be overthinking and maybe this guy wasn't actually looking at me. I mean, how could he? My phone wasn't on, so I was pretty much sitting in complete darkness. Could he really see me from all the way down there? I just kept sitting there, hoping the guy would leave, but then I saw him waving at me. Now I knew he was looking at me. I was too uncomfortable to do anything. I couldn't even go back inside. I just sat there, getting increasingly nervous. My thoughts started to run wild. I thought this guy might find my apartment and then try to break in. I also thought he would somehow just sprint forward and climb up the building to get to me or something. But as I kept staring at this guy just waving at me, a sudden feeling of dread came over me. That was when I started grabbing my things to go back inside, but then I saw that he had stopped waving. He reached both his arms out to the side and then started swaying his body from side to side, bending his knees as he moved and wiggling his arms around like a weird dance move. At this point, I was incredibly unsettled and just wanted to get back inside, but I was also slightly intrigued in a way and I guess I wanted to see what he might do next. Soon, the feelings of dread and unease took over and I continued closing up all of my stuff and I went back inside. There was a window in the room next to the balcony where you could see down to the same area, so I peeked outside trying to stay hidden behind the wall. I saw this guy still moving around side to side, but he soon stopped and I saw him just start booking it down the road again. I made sure my front door was locked and I went back to my room, locking the bedroom door as well. My bedroom window looks out to the same direction, so I made sure that the guy was gone and closed my curtains. I didn't really sleep that night. I couldn't shake the uneasy feeling that I had. This happened a couple of nights ago, and I haven't seen this guy since. I've still been sitting out on the balcony, but I've been getting really paranoid when I'm out there at night, so I don't stay out for as long as I used to. I don't really know what to make of this whole thing, and I don't know who that guy was, or maybe what he was, but I get really uncomfortable and paranoid when I think about that night. Like I'm back in that moment, feeling those exact feelings again. And since then, I get occasional waves of dread, like at times throughout the day, I get the feeling that I'm being watched. I hope this feeling goes away soon, and I'm really hoping I don't see that guy ever again. My grandfather, Jim, died when I was 17. This was about five years ago, and his last months were rough on the whole family. 
He had advanced brain cancer, but he spent most of his time at home under hospice care. One afternoon, it was about two weeks before Jim died, I was alone with my grandpa waiting for the hospice nurse to come check on him. A man who I'd never seen before, I guess his name was Dave, knocked on the door. He was wearing hospital scrubs, but he hadn't brought any equipment with him, which was odd. I asked him if he worked for the hospital, and he nodded. He said this was his first shift with Jim, but that he'd reviewed my grandfather's file and that he wanted to speak to whichever family member had the legal authority to pull the plug. And Jim wasn't even on life support, so I guess Dave was just using plug as an expression. Hmm. I should say that I live in a right-to-die state where euthanasia is legal, so it's not like that option had never occurred to us, but as far as I know, no member of my family had ever expressed an openness to euthanizing Jim. I told him that I had no authority to make that decision and that my grandfather, who was now delirious and unable to consent to much of anything, had specifically said to prolong his life indefinitely unless he was crying out in extreme pain, which he wasn't. Dave put his hand on my shoulder as though he were consoling me, and he told me about how old people become burdens that their families need to let go of. Then, Dave pulled a bottle of pills out of his pocket and said they were barbiturates that would trigger a peaceful death. And he mentioned that the coroner would determine that Jim died naturally from his cancer. I started to panic, and I firmly told him that under no circumstances would we be euthanizing Jim at this time, but he started to untwist the bottle as he walked towards Jim's bed. I tried to wrestle the pills from his hand, and he seemed startled. He played innocent and said he just wanted to show the pills to Jim, but Dave knew perfectly well that my grandfather had almost no idea what was going on. I called 911, and I rapidly explained the situation to the dispatcher. Dave suddenly became very scared and bolted out of the house. The cops arrived within five minutes, and Jim's actual hospice nurse arrived a few minutes after that. Based on my physical description, the police and hospital staff were able to identify Dave as a recently fired hospital orderly. Dave was charged with making a criminal threat based on my testimony, but unfortunately he was acquitted. So Dave, wherever you are, let's never meet again. I went to the library yesterday to drop off some books that were due, but when I drove up to the outdoor book return, the chute wouldn't open. I figured I must not have known how to open it, so I decided to go inside and return them there. As I was walking towards the doors, I noticed a man with earbuds sitting on a bench near the entrance. I thought nothing of it and just kept walking, but when I got to the door, I found that it was locked. I was surprised because I didn't think the library would be closed yet. I knew that they were supposed to be closed for Labor Day, but I didn't think that they would be closed the day before as well. There were cars parked outside too. I shrugged it off and walked back to my car, which was parked just a few meters away. I didn't look behind me, but as I was walking back, I heard the man singing loudly to himself. It sounded more like 
He was yelling. I thought it was a little weird and wondered if he was directing it at me because I was leaving, but I just ignored it. I've never heard anyone sing to themselves in public like that, so it creeped me out a little, but not enough to raise any red flags. As soon as I got back in my car, the man started waving at me to come over. I froze up for a moment because I wondered what he needed. I was the only one in the parking lot, so I was sure he wasn't beckoning to anybody else. But then I remembered a warning that my dad had given me not to come over when a stranger beckons at me. He specifically told me that because of this one encounter I'd had at the park that was similar. Either way, I found it odd, so I locked my doors and I drove away. He kept staring at my car as I left, and honestly I felt a little guilty because I didn't want to seem rude or stuck up, but I didn't know what his intentions were. I gave it some thought later and figured he might have just wanted to tell me that the library was closed, but if he'd wanted to tell me that, he could have told me when I was at the door. There was no reason for him to beckon me over after I had just gotten into my car. I honestly don't know what to make of it. I think I may have overreacted a little, and I suppose I could have driven up to the curb and lowered my window, but I didn't like the idea of that either. It could have been completely harmless and I just misjudged, but I can't tell for sure. I didn't mean to be rude, I just drove away because the situation creeped me out. At the time of this story, I was 21 and living in a major Midwestern city, attending the university there. Having lived there for only one month before my story began, I had witnessed a train stop stabbing, been yelled at by a crackhead, had a homeless guy follow me and then threatened to choke me outside the physics building on campus, and watched a 13-car cop raid on a drug house just across the street. The area around the university is known for being rough and has a notoriously high rate of crime. We would get a few texts a week from the campus police saying things like there had been a robbery, a break-in, an assault, some stockings, attempted kidnappings. You get it. I always ignored these texts, thinking foolishly that I would never be a victim because I was smart enough to stay out of trouble, not to go out alone late at night, and, well, all the other cliches. I seriously regret this behavior now, and to anyone listening to this, Please, never think that you're 100% safe, no matter your level of preparedness. Always do your best to stay observant and careful. The first incident wasn't too unusual. I was just a block or two from my apartment building one day in the early evening. It was still light outside, and I was walking my dog, Sesame, a cute Shiba Inu who just looks like a fluffy, goofy puppy, and has never been frightening or particularly protective in his life. As I was heading back home, I passed a small parking lot and in it was a large van. I could see a man in his maybe early 60s sitting in the driver's seat, smoking a cigarette. He was staring at me. As I passed, he actually leaned out of his car and called out to me. He said, hey, you there, that's a cute dog. What's his name? I should mention this isn't even my first story like this. I have a pretty intense fear of strangers and I actually struggle with PTSD from other incidents in my life. 
Being pretty wary for this reason, I ignored him and I just started to walk faster. I heard a car door shut behind me and I turned quickly to see that he had gotten out of his van and was slowly walking toward me. He called out to me again. He said, hey baby, I just want to see your dog. Come back. His phrasing pissed me off and I gripped my dog's leash and started to speed walk away from him, starting to feel nervous. My heart was beginning to pound, but I kept telling myself over and over that I was overreacting and it was just my paranoia acting up and there was really nothing to worry about. Boy, was I wrong. I managed to turn the corner and was about to cross the final park before getting to my apartment. In my fear over the van guy, I wasn't paying attention as much as I usually do to what was in front of me. I looked back over my shoulder and the guy had stopped following me. He was, however, standing in the middle of the sidewalk with a huge, creepy grin on his face. I whirled back around with my eyes glued to my building. I only needed to walk another half a block and then I'd be home. I was going to get away from him and his creepy van. Just when I thought I was safe, a group of five or six men came from the side of the park that I wasn't watching. They were all tall and intimidating in stature and all of them were laughing and looking right at me. Out of the corner of my eye, the van guy had started walking towards me as well. I remember he was whistling. I again picked up my pace and desperately searched for my keys in my pocket as I hurried to the door. The group of men then veered towards me, partially cutting me off, and in all my stupid politeness, I stopped. They grinned at me with sick, perverted smiles, obviously checking me out, looking me up and down, and it just made me sick. I tried not to panic and inched closer to my apartment. Hey, what's your name? Where are you going? What's your Snapchat? Is that your apartment? Can we come over? Do you smoke? They all just barraged me with questions, one after another. I tried to refuse them, stammering, No, no thank you, as I saw the van guy come and join their group, leering at me. While I inched away, they inched closer, and one of them then reached out for me, his fingers actually touching my arm. I leapt back, trying not to start crying, but Sesame suddenly lunged at them, his teeth bared, a horrifying snarl ripping from his throat. Every bit of cute Sheba personality was gone, and he looked like he was wanting to tear one of those guys' throats out. It startled them enough that I was able to turn and sprint the final distance to my building, locking the door behind me. I fell to the floor inside my building, hugging Sesame. However, the entire front of my building was glass, and to my horror and disbelief, the group of men came and stood in front of the windows, grinning at me, laughing and making kissy faces and lewd gestures at me. The apartment manager came out and called the cops on them, but they ran away. I made it back home and scrubbed myself in the shower, crying and shaking with fear. Sesame got a special dinner that evening and I kept telling myself that they just wanted to mess with me and I was never in any real danger stupid of me, I know now. About a month later, when I had finally managed to be able to walk outside my apartment without severe anxiety, I was actually planning on moving a bit farther away from campus. 
It was still going to be in a sketchy neighborhood, but the thought of those men knowing where I lived kept me up at night. My apartment actually hired a security guard to be there 24-7 after someone had broken into the building, smashed all the windows, destroyed some furniture, and stolen a bunch of bikes. And, of course, my bike got stolen. Anyways, I was heading home from class, and it was a beautiful day. I actually felt pretty happy for once, and I popped my earbuds in on the last few blocks before I got home. Again, stupid. After a block or so, I started to feel like somebody was watching me. My palms started sweating, I glanced behind me trying not to look obvious, and a tall man was about 20 feet behind me, staring straight at me. I snapped my head back around and ripped out my earbuds. No, 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 I thought. It can't be one of them. I was just jumping to conclusions given my anxiety disorder and paranoia, surely, but there was something familiar about him. My heart started racing. As I hoped to God the others weren't waiting for me around the corner of my building, just ready to jump me. I walked faster, wishing that Sesame was with me. I was too afraid to look back at him as I fumbled with my keys and wrenched the door open as hard as I could. This turned out to be a crucial mistake. As I ran to the elevator, trying to breathe a sigh of relief, I saw with absolute horror that the man had caught the door that I had thrown wide open and was slowly coming into the building with me. He paused, standing away from me, but close enough that I could hear his ragged breathing and smell alcohol coming off him. My heart was thudding in my chest now and I struggled to think clearly. The apartment manager was already home for the day and I was completely alone in the lobby. There were no other doors out of that room and the stranger was blocking my only exit. The security guard that was supposed to be keeping an eye on the building was nowhere to be seen. The elevator came and I tried to run into it and slam my hand over the door close button as fast as I could. I pushed my floor button and huddled in the far corner of the elevator. I started to once again try to catch my breath, but right when the door was almost closed, he stuck his hand in. I couldn't believe it. He waited until the door was just about to close and then he stopped it. He was standing close enough that there was no way that was a mistake. My stomach dropped and a suffocating sense of dread crept in. I kept my head down as he joined me. My desperate hope that he was just a dirty, drunken resident of the building was dashed when he didn't press any buttons. I don't know why I didn't run out of the elevator or try to leave the building again. I was paralyzed with fear and all I could do was watch as the door closed and sealed my fate. The elevator was filled with the stench of alcohol and B.O. If I wasn't so terrified, I might have gagged. It was nauseating. I couldn't look at him. I couldn't move. I tried to scream at myself in my head to press the wrong button and try to escape him, but I was totally petrified. He leaned closer to me and I heard him breathe in deeply and very quietly sigh like he was content. I felt tears well in my eyes and the seconds it took to reach the top floor where I lived felt like hours. I saw no way that I could escape the sick, drunk guy who was smelling me now. In the reflection of the elevator walls, I could make out his disgusting smile. 
He was staring directly at me, with his hands in his pockets, clearly holding on to something. I'm not religious, but I prayed that I would make it to my door in time. I realized he probably wasn't going to attack me in the elevator, and there was a large camera in the ceiling. I looked up at it, feeling a tear spill out of my eye as I did so, hoping that whoever saw the tape eventually would identify this man. The worst part about all of this is that I've trained in martial arts and self-defense since I was about eight years old. I thought of myself as stronger and braver than I was acting. I should know what to do. I should be strong enough to do it. But no matter how many times I had disarmed, thrown, or choked out attackers in the studio, nothing totally prepares you for the dread of a real-life situation. As the elevator reached my floor, I managed to snap out of my stupor just long enough to dash through the door and run to my apartment unit. I nearly missed the keyhole, but I threw open my door. I was nearly through when my backpack snagged on the outside handle of the door, trapping me. I heard the man walking quickly to my door, a low chuckle building in his throat as he watched me panic and struggle to get free. I felt like a mouse being watched by a cat. Trapped and helpless, so close to escaping, I finally gave up and shoved my arms through the straps, abandoning my backpack. As I did so, the man suddenly reached out for me. I was able to slam the door shut, deadbolting it, and the gust of air from the door slamming brought his disgusting smell in with me, and in my terror and disgust, I just retched violently. I looked through the peephole and he was staring right at me, pressing his forehead against the door, his mouth bent in a furious scowl. He swore at me and ripped my backpack off the handle of the door, slamming it to the ground. I winced as I heard my laptop thud on the floor. I was still too terrified to say anything, but I grabbed the knife that I kept by my door, ready if he tried anything. After a few minutes of staring at my door, jiggling the handle, licking the peephole, and making obscene motions at it, he unzipped my backpack, dumping its contents on the floor. He picked up my bag, sniffing it and leering at the peephole as he did so, like he knew I was watching him. He couldn't look away, again paralyzed in fear. Finally, he left, using the elevator visible from my door like nothing had happened. I continued to stare out the peephole for what felt like an eternity and then finally called the apartment manager, feeling my anger sinking in that the security guard hadn't been anywhere in sight, not paying attention. It turns out he had fallen asleep, eating Taco Bell and watching movies on his phone. He was only 10 feet away from the elevator the entire time, sleeping in the office behind a closed door. They fired him, but the creepy guy was never caught, and neither were any of the others. I don't even know for sure if this man was part of the original group. I was honestly too terrified to look much at their faces during the first incident. I moved out of my apartment a week later, staying with my boyfriend at the time for the remainder of my lease and keeping Sesame with me at all times when possible. A few more things happened while I lived in that city from having to call in a gunfight from outside my new apartment window to having to pick up my friend who was being followed by a van to having to evacuate during an arson incident.
There are nice things about that city too, but during my time there, besides learning the police department was absolutely useless and corrupt to nearly escaping with my life multiple times, I couldn't be happier to be far, far away from there and doing a lot better with my fear and my anxiety. An old friend of mine had a canine search and rescue operation and had several dogs that had different skills. He had dogs that were trained for different things. One to search for human remains, one that was trained to search for live survivors, including through the rubble of accident or disaster sites, and even a little dog that could detect bedbugs. I would sometimes help in the training of the dogs by hiding in the woods or in hard-to-reach areas, and I loved doing it. It's amazing to see these incredible animals working. Plus, I loved them. I sat with them a lot when he was out searching in different parts of the country for actual victims. One afternoon, we were walking through the park with the cadaver dog, who's a beautiful German shepherd who was the face of the company. Not working, but we did have our canine search and rescue attire on when a man approached us. He stopped us to ask if he could pet her, which is not uncommon, and she was super friendly and sweet, so we said of course. The weird thing is that the moment he stopped, the dog immediately gave her signal and lay down right by his feet. My friend and I looked at each other almost in horror because the dog was signaling that she detected human remains. She was the most experienced of all the dogs and would not have made a mistake. It was clearly her signal. It spooked us both so much that we cut the conversation short and left quickly. To this day, we have no idea what that was about. I should also add that she was trained to detect human remains. She was taught not to alert on animal remains. I still think about that day a lot. Since posting this story here, there's been a lot of theories from fellow Redditors. Everything from the guy could have been a mortician to rotting toes or even wearing dead man's shoes, but none of those reasons would have caused this response and I honestly still have no idea and neither does my friend who's a professional. I think seeing him spooked was even more unnerving. He's an army vet that's been in combat, an EMT, and a firefighter, and he's seen some stuff, so he's pretty calm in almost every situation. This happened at a burger joint, but I'm just using Burger King for anonymity. This happened to my fiance. She's on vacation and has our puppy with her. They flew some states away. She was walking into Burger King with her friend and this chain-smoking looking guy asked if he could hold our puppy. That's the first red flag. Since strangers usually just ask if they can pet the puppy, never had anyone ask to hold him. They go in and get their stuff and start walking back to their cars. The creepy dude pops out of nowhere and says, Oh look, it's the girl who wouldn't let me hold her puppy. At that point, my fiancé quickly got into her car and her friend was nearby watching in case anything happened. They pull out and this guy gets in his car, which was parked kitty-corner to my fiancé's. He follows her for a few miles and then finally breaks off. 
This story may not be as crazy as other ones on here, but it's still very creepy to her and to me when she called and told me about it. In the city where I live, there's a small drive through smoothie shack. It's located next to a large body of water, and there are picnic tables for people to sit at around the back of the shack if they want to drink their smoothie and take in the view. About three years ago, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, and I decided to go get smoothies as a treat. We pulled into the parking lot and around the back of the shack to get in line. If I remember correctly, there were just one or two cars in front of us. We pulled up to the menu board and my boyfriend rolled down the window to get a better look. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a very old man shuffled up next to the car. He was dressed pretty well in a sweater and some dress slacks. I could tell he was very old due to the hunched way that he was walking and his white hair. He caught both my husband and I by surprise since we hadn't seen anyone sitting at the tables. The old man rested his hand on the rolled down window and stooped over towards my husband. He said, you dropped your hat. My husband and I stared at him in confusion. Neither of us wore hats. The old man says it's right there in the street. He pointed behind the car and my husband and I both turned to look but there was no hat. He says, don't you see it? It's right there. We turned back to look at him, both totally confused, and suddenly the man's voice trapped several octaves and he spoke with a guttural growl. No? Well, why don't I drag you out of this car with my knife? At this point, we went from confused to scared. The man was gripping the window with both hands and leaning towards my husband in an aggressive manner. Then, just as abruptly as he'd threatened us, his voice turned cheerful again and he spoke in an almost sing-song tone with a smile. Just kidding, just kidding. I motioned to my husband to pull away. The whole encounter was incredibly unsettling. My husband gently began to move the car forward and the old man was forced to let go. We pulled away without getting our smoothies and went back onto the main road. Neither of us looked back, and we were both shaken up. I checked to see if there were any alerts for a missing elderly person, and it occurred to me that night that he might have had dementia and just wandered off, but I didn't find anything. It took us a while to go back to the smoothie shack after that, but... We haven't seen the old man ever since. So this happened to me like a day ago and I'm really stressed so I need to tell you guys. My name is Axel and I'm 16. I live in a really safe place. It's, it's kind of a familial area and it's really rare that we ever see any police officers or police cars. I'm a big sports guy, and right now, I'm training really hard to upgrade my cardio, and this is an important detail. So, yesterday, when I finished my day at work, I walked by a forest and I saw two police cars. I remember saying to myself that this was weird, but I didn't think much about it. 30 minutes later, I go outside to do my jogging. About 10 minutes into my jog, 
a really weird and suspicious man passes right by me on a bike. He was so close that he almost hit me. So I take a look to see what he looks like. He was a man about 30 years old with really short hair and a big neck tattoo. Also, he had a big backpack on that seemed really heavy. After he almost hit me, I was thinking that he would have to look back to see if I was okay, but he didn't even pay a single bit of attention to me like he was in a real hurry. So, I continue to run and the story could end there, but it doesn't. I run past another police car. This time, he was talking to a guy on a bicycle. This is not the same guy that almost ran me over. Then he let the guy pass and so I go back to my house, wondering what a really weird run that I had just had. When I got back in my house, my parents asked me if my run was good and I tell them yes, but it was weird. I told them about the police car that was talking to a guy and I said there were two police cars in front of the forest and my parents told me, ah, it's probably because they're searching for this guy. Then they show me the news segment from earlier in the evening. It showed a picture of a man, about 30 years old with really short hair, and a big neck tattoo. They said that he was being searched for by the police because he escaped a therapy house and committed a lot of crime, like aggression, possession of illegal weapons, etc. I told my parents and we agreed that it was probably him that almost hit me with his bike and I was very lucky that he didn't actually hit me and that I also didn't insult him because he would have had a very different and more dangerous reaction. Alright, so check this out. I used to be a cop in rural USA. One day, I get a check well-being call. I drive to the address, which is just a few minutes outside of town. When pulling into the property, I get an eerie feeling. I go to the residence, which was an older, modular home. The front door had a diamond-shaped window. After knocking for a bit, I began to hear noises sounding like a walking sound from the barn next to the residence. I was shining my flashlight around the property as it was nighttime and I had the feeling I was going to turn around and see someone standing in the window of the door. I checked the barn and I couldn't locate anyone or the source of the sound. After several minutes of knocking and no answer, I returned to service. Here's the glitch. I left the residence and drove back towards town. While on my way, I called a friend and co-worker and was telling him about the strange feeling and the sounds on the call. I was on the phone with him for over 15 minutes, and I realized I was nowhere near town. After several more minutes of driving, I turned around and headed back towards the residence. I arrived at the driveway in a little over a minute. I turned around again and drove back towards town and made it in just a few minutes now. I don't know why it took so long, and I can't explain it at all. And to cap off the creepiness, after I arrived back in town, the individual that I went to go check on called into my dispatch and thanked me for coming to check on him. He said he was watching me the entire time.
When I was a kid, I lived in a really tall house. There was a central set of stairs that went four stories high that the house was built around. My parents' room was on the fourth floor while I lived on the third floor right next to the stairs. My childhood dog, this mutt named Bueller, would climb up the stairs most nights to go to sleep with my parents while occasionally sleeping with one of my siblings on the floor below me. Anytime Bueller was walking around the house, you could hear the clacks of his paws on the wooden planks. He would never head up at a consistent time either, going from as early as 8 to as late as midnight. Fast forward to July 2014. I'm 17 years old and Bueller had just passed. The house felt really empty for a while. We had gotten so accustomed to his clacks that it was just odd, you know, not hearing them anymore. But they kept on coming. For about two weeks after his death, I, along with my parents, heard Bueller climb the stairs every night. The sound was unmistakable. I heard this noise for years on end. It was the same pattern and same rhythm as Bueller in life, except, you know, Bueller was no more. There was no weather pattern going on, and the house wasn't especially creaky, and we didn't have any other pets other than him. It was never at the same time every night either. When it became late July, we stopped hearing Bueller's clacks. I asked my parents if they heard the noises, and they agreed it had to be Bueller coming up the stairs. I will say that I never went to see what it was, just because I already definitively knew what it was. It was Bueller going to sleep with my parents. I recently decided to make a new start, changed professions, and became a teacher. I moved out to a small town to pay less rent and eat organic. All that, I'm in my mid-thirties and realized that living in a capital is financial madness. I've been here for about a month and a half, and my wife and I were in her parents' house until we moved to a small one-bedroom apartment at the back of a garage. It's pretty sweet. I know that the walk to the school I work at is about 15 minutes tops. But two days ago, I went to walk to work, and it was my first time from this apartment. Given that I'm new in town, I took out my Google Maps and went for it. I had 30 minutes to get there, and as I walked toward it, I saw a route that would be 5 minutes faster. Once I took it, 15 minutes jumped to 20, and then as I walked towards the school, the more the time increased. At 27 minutes, I stopped and called an Uber. I was a 15-minute drive from work. Fair enough. Seems like I just got lost, right? And then talking to the admin lady that follows up our system for attendance, she told me she once took a wrong turn here and it took her three hours to find her way back. Not only that, she described the same houses that I did, and how none of us at the school knew what neighborhood that was. In a town that has three supermarkets and mostly hardware stores, and two drive throughs it's a bizarre experience. All the houses were white with nice hedges. It's odd since it's a rural area with houses that look nothing like that. 
Now, the thing that got me weirded out about it, it makes no sense how a 15-minute walk, I ended up being 45 minutes from my house in the next town, and more than 30 minutes from work. I walked for 17 minutes? I'd spent the morning mowing the yard, trimming bushes, and edging a long driveway and sidewalk. It was 90 degrees under the hot Florida sun, and it was time for a water break and a bit of lunch. During the lunch break, I was able to clean my glasses and change my sweat-soaked t-shirt before resuming my yard work. I had another hour to go before the rocket launch, and I needed to haul the debris I'd created to the curb for pickup. I live on Florida's east coast, about 30 miles due north of Cape Canaveral. On a clear day, you have an excellent view of the rocket launches from my neighbor's dock. The dock sits on the edge of Spruce Creek, a large tributary extending westward from the intracoastal waterway. The night launches are spectacular, and we often join our neighbors for cocktails on the dock when a night launch is scheduled. On this particular day, The launch was scheduled for just after 2 p.m. It was a cloudy day with high heat. Weather like this usually brings more clouds and rain, so I thought the chances of a launch were quite low, much less one that I could see through the billowing clouds. But I've seen hundreds of rocket launches, and I'm always hopeful. I finished my chores, so I grabbed a bottle of water from the fridge and headed to the dock. It was about 10 minutes to lift off and I was sitting there all alone. The teak chairs on my neighbor's dock are large, heavy, and quite comfortable. I looked to the southeast towards a large pine tree in the distance. The rockets have always appeared about 5 degrees on either side of that tree when beginning their ascent. Now, this is when the glitch in the matrix shows up. I relaxed my eyes and looked for openings in the clouds. My vision extended upwards on the trajectory I imagined the SpaceX rocket would take. Suddenly, something changed in my vision. I could see the L-shaped sweat smudge on my prescription glasses as if it were under a microscope. My eyes were super focused on a dirty spot a half inch away from my retina. This was something new to me. I was locked on but it felt normal. This was an odd fixation, but not as odd as the background behind the smudge. The entire sky was networked hexagon shapes, anchored with silver spheres. Tiny dotted lines extended from each sphere as the large hexagon shapes interconnected. Everywhere in the cloudy eastern sky, the pattern was the same. It made me think of the Jim Carrey movie, The Truman Show, and I was freaking out. Is this real? I asked myself. I observed this phenomenon for at least five whole minutes, all the time wondering if this was a glitch in the matrix or could I be looking at the inside of my eyeballs. I scanned each hexagon to see if there was any unusual movement out there, but I didn't detect any. I thought that a couple of the connecting strands looked different than the others. I was pondering this when my trance was broken by my dock-owning neighbor as she shouted from her back lanai. Hey, Jack, the guy on TV said the launch was canceled for today. I turned to look at her, and just like that, the smudge was out of focus and the network dissolved. 
Now, the Artemis rocket launch is scheduled for today at 2.17 p.m., and I can't wait to try and recreate this experience. Hey, long-time lurker, first-time poster. Now, before anyone asks, I don't think anyone is stealing from me or breaking in when I'm not home. I don't think my cleaning lady, my kid, or my partner would take this stuff and move it as some kind of a joke, and I don't think I have early-onset dementia or anything like that. And no, I'm not OCD, I just know where my stuff is, and I learned at a really, really young age to have a place for everything and everything in its place. I've always been a bit sensitive. Although not a firm believer in the supernatural, I do think that the multi-world theory is at least plausible. The one where there are multiple universes running concurrently that sometimes overlap or intersect. Sometimes weird things happen to me or around me, and I've just largely learned to accept it and move on. When I was younger, I would have dreams about people who other people said simply did not and never did exist. I'd know stuff before it happened, or remember stuff that I could have never known. I found lost stuff easily, and sometimes weird things happened where stuff I knew I had just had had disappeared forever. I have lots of memories of things people swear never happened. Parents and siblings just chalked it up to an overreactive imagination of a highly creative and a bit odd child. I never quite felt in step with reality, but largely learned to deal with it and to keep my trap shut about the stuff that I experienced since it, you know, tended to weird some people out. So when the chance came up a couple of years ago, I took a leap of faith and bought the house I grew up in as a kid and I moved in. The house was exactly as I remembered it, down to the smell of the hardwood. There were a few remodeling things that had been done, but for the most part, I can still walk through the house with my eyes closed knowing how many steps it takes to get from one part of the house to another. I found myself feeling peaceful mentally for the first time in a long time. Now, I also tend to be pretty meticulous about where I put things. Items may seem disorganized to other people, but there is a logical sense and order to where things go. However, more recently, I felt that weird pressure that I used to feel when things just weren't in sync. And now, things are disappearing around me. A few weeks ago, I made a stew, which is really a conglomeration of meats and vegetables, which I always cook in a tall aluminum stew pot. It takes hours to make, and so I only do that in a big batch, three or four times a year, and freeze the rest. This time was significant, because I was making it for a special occasion. When the cooking was done, the pot went into the sink to soak. My cleaning lady comes on Tuesday and Friday to help with certain tasks like the washing up and sweeping mopping. She remembers washing the pot because she had to scrub a little burnt off stuff off the bottom. I know the pot was put away because I put it away myself after she washed out the pan. It went on the pot rack with the lid on top just like it should. I went to grab the pot the other day to make a big batch of spaghetti sauce and now the entire pot is missing. The lid for it is right where it should be, but the pot is gone. We've searched everywhere for it, and it's nowhere to be found. 
It's even bothering my cleaning lady because I asked her if she knew where it went, and she couldn't find it anywhere either. Next, stuff seems to be missing from my bathroom medicine cabinet. I keep small pill bottles with labels on them for OTC medicine so that they stay organized. It's nothing expensive, just basic things like OTC antihistamines, nothing with ephedrine, like think Claritin and migraine pills, diarrhea medicine, ibuprofen, stuff like that. I actually have everything in a specific place because if I need something, I know just where to go for it. Several bottles of OTC medications are gone. Not empty, just gone, leaving an empty space in the cabinet. I asked my partner to come look tonight. He also said that there was some stuff missing because there's no empty space in the cabinet usually. And aside from him, me, and the cleaning lady, there's practically never anyone in the house. Kid comes home occasionally to do laundry, but there's no reason for the kid to take a whole bottle of aloe vera cooling gel from the cabinet. Later, I find this stuff in places that I would never think that I would have put them or moved them to. Again, the cleaning lady and my partner and our kid would have zero reason to move this stuff to the weird places that I've been finding them. Every time I experience these kinds of glitches, it's so super weird. Sorry if this is kind of long, but I've been lurking on this sub for ages and finally have the courage to post. I need to start this off by explaining the layout of my house. It's a tall, thin house. I spend most of my time on the same floor as the garage. I have my room down there, and it has my TV and desk and whatnot. The kitchen and living room are on the next floor up. And this all starts with what my parents do to get my attention. They normally walk into the living room and stomp on the floor a few times to get my attention. I normally just crack my door open and shout up at them. So, the first time that I experienced this glitch was a few months ago. I was sat at my desk like normal, and then I heard the three stomps coming from upstairs. I cracked my door open, and just before I opened my mouth to shout back, I realized that my parents were away for the weekend. I was scared crapless, but brushed it off as me hearing things since it's a noise that I hear all the time, and I also had headphones in. A few days later, the day that my parents are getting back, I'm stood by my desk and I hear the stomping again. This time I just stood still for a second and then just opened the garage and sat outside until my parents got back. I told my parents and we all had a laugh about ghosts and whatnot. The usual when talking about this kind of stuff. A few months go by and now it's August. My parents are away again and I'm in my room. I don't have my headphones on this time, and I hear the three stomps again. And then the lights on the stairs come on. Now, I need to mention that these are motion sensor lights. Little LEDs that come on when you walk down the stairs. I freak out and just stand still frozen, nearly crying, thinking that I'm about to be murdered by the stomping ghost. Of course, nothing happens and the lights go back off. This might not be the most exciting glitch, but I can't figure out why I only hear these noises when my parents aren't home. Is this some strange 
common sound phenomenon that I'm not aware of? This happened a little while ago, and I'm so glad I remembered it because it's a perfect fit for this particular sub. On one stormy Friday night, I decided I wanted to have a nice glass of Coke before going to sleep. Yeah, I know, caffeine doesn't help with that, but hey, I have an addiction. But the case of Coke inside just ran out, and I would have to go outside into the trunk of my car to get the other case that I bought. Because it was raining and flooding with a pretty high water level just outside my porch, I decided and distinctly remember thinking, I'm going to wait until morning so I don't get soaked right before bed. I then head off to bed. It took me a few hours to fall asleep. Now, a very important detail to note here is that it stopped storming outside while I was still awake. By the time I fell asleep, it wasn't raining anymore, and an hour or so into my slumber, the flood would have cleared. So the next morning I woke up, I chowed down a bowl of cereal, and since Coke is my coffee substitute, I go to put my shoes on and... What the frick? There's a huge puddle right below my shoes, and they're absolutely drenched. I'm not talking like sandals or crocs here. I mean, these things hold water like a sponge, and they were soaked. I was very weirded out by this, but I just blew it off and went to the car to get my coke. This is just one of those strange memories that you forget about and are reminded of one day. There's no explanation for it. I didn't go out that night. I have no history of sleepwalking or anything of that nature. And even if I did somehow end up going outside and don't remember, how were they so soaked? The flood was cleared by the time I would have gone out, and even if it didn't, the shoes would have been damp by morning and dried a bit, not fully soaked like a sponge with a visible puddle underneath it. And even if I did go outside, why would I have not brought the coke in with me? The case of coke was still in my trunk, untouched. This happened just this weekend. I was at a friend's place, and close to midnight, I called one of those cheap, shared taxis because they're one-third of the original price. The shared ones usually have a yellow taxi sign on them, and the regular ones here are green. My friend decided to walk me to the taxi stand because it had gotten fairly late. We set off, and soon after stepping outside, I recognized the familiar yellow light in the distance. I hadn't been at her new place since she moved, so I assumed that would be a stand. I pointed to the supposed taxi and said, That must be it. Do you think so? I didn't get a response out of her, so I repeated myself, but to no avail. As we got closer, I could recognize the light get more distinctive. I could clearly read the bold black taxi in front of a yellow overlay. I turned my head to my friend, demanding an answer this time. The shared ones are yellow. Is this the stop? But as I turned my head again, the sign was gone. I looked at it in disbelief, and even after we'd passed the car, I looked back a few times. It was there. I did see it. It just vanished into thin air. I immediately asked my friend if she'd seen it, but she said she didn't pay any attention to it, which is weird because I asked her about it a couple of times. 
I don't think it could have been a visual glitch. It was the only car on the road. It literally just disappeared, almost right before my eyes. Back when I was in my early 20s, I worked for a certain retail store that doesn't really exist anymore. It's a certain store that started with a K and ended with a major bankruptcy. Sorry, that was a bad joke. Anyways, I worked for Kmart, and I was in my 20s, as I said, and I had the amazing job of cleaning up the store when people made it a mess, which was incredibly frequent. There was one weekend near the end of the year where we were running a number of sales to try and make higher sales numbers for the Christmas season, and I was working double shifts because I was the only janitor that was employed at the store at that time. My town is decent-sized, and while I like to believe that I have a lot of friends and I know a lot of people, there's no way that I could know everybody. But we did have a lot of people coming in and buying a ton of stuff for the holidays. It was in the middle of one of my shifts. I was running the floor cleaner over one half of the store, and I pulled down an aisle that had a few young ladies standing there checking out the makeup. I try not to push the cleaner down aisles where there were people, but by the time I noticed they were there, I had already made the turn, so I just figured I would take it slow. As I got closer, I noticed one of the girls a little more than the other, because she was, to me, incredibly attractive. But... Also, somewhat familiar. I was single at the time, and like I said, in my 20s, so I puffed up a bit and tried to clean the floor with some extra gusto. I approached the trio, and I kind of tried to make eye contact with the one that I wanted to notice me by glancing over at her every few moments. Then, the weirdest thing happened to me. She looked up at me, and we made eye contact, and I felt like I knew her. I don't mean that she just kind of looked familiar, I felt like I knew her very well. As I approached, I slowed the floor cleaner, and the two of us just locked eyes and stared for a few moments. After a couple of seconds, she sort of tilted her head and said, Tony? Tony, my last name? And I immediately responded with Claire. Claire, her last name. Right? It felt as if the two of us had known each other for years, though I know for a fact that neither of us had ever seen the other before this exact moment. We both tried to place where we knew each other for a few moments. I asked where she went to high school, and she mentioned that she attended a school an entire state over, and she had just moved there. We talked about summer camps we attended, places we'd worked. Hell, we even started talking about family to see if maybe the other was a friend of the family. Neither of us could place the other person at all. There was literally no way that we knew each other, or could have known the other one prior to this moment. We knew each other's names, and I felt like I knew what she liked and who she was as a person. It was one of the weirdest moments of my life, 
as it was like the second we met eyes, we each downloaded the other person's information, if that makes sense. We really could not place the other person in our lives anywhere, but it almost felt like we were long childhood friends. After a few awkward moments, we basically told each other that it was nice to see the other person, and then went about our business. I went back to cleaning the floor, and she and her friends went back to looking at the makeup. I kind of wish that there was more to this, and that we became friends or more, but we honestly never saw each other again. At all. I do remember her name, and I've tried to look her up on Facebook, but I can't find anyone with that name. The only thing that I can think of is that we were supposed to know each other, or somehow knew each other in another life, and the information all flooded back when we saw each other. It's one of those moments that I never forgot, and I guess it was pretty cool how it happened, but really, it kind of weirded me the hell out for a while, and it's never left my mind. Alright, so check this out. When I was nine, I went to a sleepaway camp for the summer. The sleepaway camp itself was massive and very isolated. The kids were separated into age groups and gender. All those different groups slept in different camp areas in these wood cabins. My group happened to be one of the largest and most developed and because it was right off the main road in the camp, it allowed easy access for cars to come into our area. My story happened one night when I woke up and needed to pee. My cabin didn't have a bathroom, so I had to walk down to this bathhouse which was right next to the entrance where cars can come in. When I left the cabin, I saw there was a white pickup truck in front of the bathhouse with its headlights on. I found it strange, but it got even stranger when I got closer to the truck and I found out that nobody was inside. I figured that the driver would be in the bathhouse, but when I got in there, there was nobody. I was starting to get spooked, so I did my thing as fast as possible, which was only about a minute, and when I left the bathhouse, the truck was gone and there was no sign of it ever even being there. This shocked me as the truck was close enough to the bathhouse to where I would have been able to hear it leave, but I didn't hear anything. This freaked me out, so I ran back up the hill to my cabin and just sat in bed for the rest of the night, not being able to sleep. When the sun came up, I went back outside to check the area where the truck had been and there weren't even tire marks, which would be impossible since the ground was very muddy. To this day, I still don't know what happened or if the truck was really there or not. The living room of my house was located behind the front door. To the far right was a big window that peered outside. My mom didn't like having blinds block up her window, so the far window to the right had absolutely no blinds or curtains, meaning that during the night I couldn't see through the window. However, someone on the other side could definitely see in. The first run-in with this intruder 
happened a couple of years ago when my sisters were watching anime late in the night. Midway through, one of them falls asleep while the other stays awake. When she was watching her show, suddenly the far right window began to bang aggressively. Not a tap or just one bang, but instead a barrage of just loud banging. She immediately covered herself with a blanket and after a solid minute, it stopped. She went on to later tell me the story in great detail and it's just always sat with me. Well, fast forward a couple of years later when at the time I was 12, me and my sister, this is the different sister than the one I just mentioned, were hanging out in the living room when I had to use the bathroom. When I get out, my sister is frantically trying to tell me that she thinks someone is outside. Now, knowing this and the previous event that happened, I was very terrified. She said she thinks she saw a dude outside and heard noises coming from that area too. Additionally, our dog that we got a couple of months prior seems to be getting very worked up and wouldn't stop growling and barking to where this intruder was. I summoned every ounce of courage to run outside, grab my dog, and quickly run back inside with her. She was still getting super worked up, but after five minutes, she calmed down. I suppose the intruder left after that moment. Shortly after she calmed down, I went to my mom and woke her up to tell her about what had just happened. She said it was nothing and told me to go back to bed. Shortly after this whole incident, me and my sister went straight to bed, but to this day, I still remember how scared I was and I can't help but wonder if this intruder really meant to harm us. So this is a story that was told to my mother from a friend of hers and it happened at some point in the 1970s, so take everything with a teeny grain of salt. My mom's friend was living in Illinois at the time with his wife. He ended up finding out that she was cheating on him, so in what I presume was a fit of anger, he packed all his stuff into a bag and decided to walk back to Louisiana, where he had been living before. He said it wasn't a rational thought. He was just that angry and he didn't have the money to do anything else. But eventually, he found himself walking down a dark, forested road late at night. As he was walking, he started to hear something walking quite close to him from inside the forest. At some point earlier, he had tripped and spilled cologne that was in his bag all over himself, so he stated that might have been what attracted whatever might have been following him. Whatever the case, this continued on for a little bit before the thing darted across the road behind him and into the opposite tree line. Now, apparently, in between the other side of the road and said tree line was a large ravine that it must have cleared. He heard it run across the road, but by the time he looked back, all he saw was the shaking of the trees where it had gone back into the woods. He kept walking, and it started following him again. He then said he heard what he could only describe as sounding like braying, kind of like what you'd hear from a horse, but he couldn't rationalize in his head that there was a horse back there. Eventually, after walking a bit further, 
he stopped and turned towards the forest. He shouted at whatever was there. He said, look, I know you're there. I'm just going to go my way and you go your way. All right. After he shouted at it, it apparently got very upset. He saw the trees shaking in the forest. He said it looked like heavy machinery was back there. Suddenly, a large tree flew into the road close to him. The tree was still quite alive and had been completely uprooted by whatever threw it. He wisely decided that the next car that came by, he was going to throw himself in front of it if he had to in order to stop it. He stood in the road and a car came along and stopped. He approached the driver and pointed at the tree in the road and said, Something just threw that at me from inside the forest. I'll give you every penny in my pocket, which was about 50 bucks, to take me to the next town. Fortunately, the driver took him up on his offer and brought him into the next town, where he was just simply happy to see lights and people. I don't know how true this story is, but I've never known the man to be a liar, and neither has my mom. Either way... It's definitely a spooky one. To preface this, I'm a 24-year-old female, and I'm a very rational person. I'm the type who tells themselves that they're just overthinking or being skeptical, but I had an incident a few months ago that I simply cannot shake. I currently live in Colorado, but... I'm originally from a town in Illinois that is nationally ranked as one of the safest, albeit snobbiest, places to live in America. I was home a few months ago in the summer for a funeral, and one night I decided to take a late night walk. This had been a ritual of mine since middle school, where I walk around my neighborhood for hours just to clear my head and really find some solitude for my parents. This night was like any typical night, with the occasional late-night dog walker passing here and there, but due to the unfortunate circumstances, I stayed out longer than usual. As I was walking down the road, a red minivan passed me. As I've taken these late-night walks in my neighborhood for years, I'm typically never cautious of passing cars. However, as this car passed me going in the opposite direction... For some reason, my internal alarm just started blaring. I've only ever felt that sense of danger twice in my life. Once, when a man approached me in an alley when I was a child, and the other being when I was tailed by a man in college who was later arrested for sexual assault on campus. Anyway, the car slowed down slightly as it passed me, and somewhere down that street... It turned around, reappearing to park on the curbside next to where I was walking. I immediately turned around to start walking in the other direction, only looking back when I felt I was a safe distance away. Now, mind you, this neighborhood is littered with streetlights, so it's not menacing in any way, and my thoughts as I distanced myself was that the driver just must have been parking next to his home or the home that he was visiting for the evening me thinking that I probably looked like the sketchy person in the situation. But when I glanced back, my eyes were met by a tall, what looked to be a white man in a red shirt and blue jeans who just stood there staring back at me. 
he seemed to be making no move towards approaching any home and instead just stood there, half shaded by the dark provided by the lining trees despite the streetlights. He was, and I am positive, staring right back at me as I hurried away. I continued back on my walk, and this time in the direction of my house. Whatever that was, even if it was just my imagination, it startled and unnerved me, bringing a halt to my leisurely stroll. Keep in mind, now that my senses were on high alert, I was hyper aware of my surroundings. I was looking left, right, straight, and most importantly back as I made my way home quickly. I'm beyond sure, even now, that there was no one behind, next to, or in front of me as I made my return, which was about three streets away. As I got further, I started to second-guess myself, regretting the possibility that I might have made some random stranger feel like they were making me uncomfortable somehow. In an attempt then to be fearless and rational, I decided to pass my street and continue my walk onto the next avenue. As I turned onto the following street, I stopped to tie my shoe. Again, keep in mind that at this point, my mind was still on a high alert, and I'm beyond sure that there was no one else walking anywhere near me, not even within 200 paces. After I finished with my shoe, still kneeling on the ground, I suddenly felt a sense of instant dreadful fear and immediately turned to look behind me at the turn of the avenue a man in a red shirt and blue jeans appeared out of nowhere making his way in my direction he was holding something long and thin in his hand so thinking it was a leash in the dark i looked for a dog there was no dog i don't want to sound offensive either but Having lived in that neighborhood my entire life, just by the look of him, I knew he didn't belong. Without even thinking, I shot up and sprinted through backyards to jump my fence, enter my back door, and lock every entrance in my home. Again, being the devil's advocate against myself, I continued to tell myself I was overreacting. And then my back door neighbor's motion lights turned on. My heart dropped. I spent the rest of that night on my bedroom floor, phone in one hand, kitchen knife in the other, the motion lights turning on and off sporadically for the next few hours. Even now, I can't believe even the dumbest assailant would risk attempting anything in a neighborhood like mine, full of bored, rich, security-packed Karens, but I can't shake the feeling that I escaped someone that night. Someone who must have been stalking me out of sight, possibly through backyards, since most of the neighborhood homes don't have fences. I'm still very skeptical of myself, so I'd appreciate any ideas as to what might have actually happened. Crescent Hotel To those who recognize this name, you are likely familiar with the twisted history as well as any and all paranormal stories attributed to it. For those who don't recognize it, the Crescent Hotel is located in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and is a great destination to enrich yourself in history, 
architecture as well as the shutter-inducing entities that roam its hallways. At the time I visited the hotel, I was 16 and I was accompanying my best friend and her parents on a cool Halloween night to take the ghost tour that the hotel offers. There, you can learn firsthand the history and experiences of each floor, which include the basement. I'll spare most of the details, but I highly encourage those reading to research or even to visit the place. When we arrived, my friend and I were ecstatic to be ghost hunters, and we were challenging each other to see who could get the best evidence possible. As her parents got us all registered, they said that we could go check out the hotel, but just to be back within 30 minutes to begin the tour. We, already running towards the stairs, gave a quick, yeah sure, and whipped our cameras out. Because we didn't want to ruin our own excitement, we promised one another that we wouldn't research anything about the rumored ghosts, and so we had no clue who or what was there. On the second floor, my friend walked faster, taking pick after pick, while I slowed down and just enjoyed the scenery. The place was gorgeous, especially with the wedding that was happening downstairs. My head circled around as I observed all around me with excitement. That excitement, however, slowly was extinguished as anxiety began to bubble in my stomach. I walked slowly in front of one of the rooms near a well-lit staircase that went down to the first floor and I heard some footsteps to my left. By this point, the anxiety I was feeling had me nauseous and it literally felt like someone was just punching me in the gut repeatedly. Swiveling my head towards the sudden sound, I saw a very large jet black figure race up the stairs and towards me large enough to where it blocked out all of the light in the stairwell. Flinching, I backed up a step or two and looked around to see that my friend and I were still the only ones in the hallway at that time. I quickly caught up with her and asked if she had seen or felt anything unusual, to which she had replied, Not at all. I... What's wrong with you? Why are you so pale? I brushed it off and waited until we caught up with her parents and told all three of them what had happened to me. As I walked away from that room slash stairwell, my nausea and gut-punching pain started to subside. Flash forward to the tour. We began at the top of the building and the guide gave us the details on which rooms were haunted, who haunts them, and why they supposedly haunt those rooms at all. As we all filed into the second floor, my friend's dad elbowed me and said with a smirk, Hey, I wonder if the room that you were talking about is the room. I laughed it off as much as I could, but the closer we got to that room, the more I began to feel that anxiety, gut-punching feeling again. As luck would have it, the guide stopped immediately in front of the door that I had my experience. She told the crowd about a young man that haunts the room. I don't recall what his name was, but he was around 18 when he died. His death was due to him falling off a ladder while he was trying to impress some girls during the construction of the hotel. As he hit the ground, a nail went into his skull. 
Our tour guide jokes he's known for being quite the troublemaker and will pick on any young men that he thinks may be trying to steal his girls from him. My face went pale and cold as this suddenly made perfect sense, but I couldn't help but laugh at the situation. As funny as it seems, I waited for the group to move ahead and I leaned in towards the door and said, Hey, uh, just so you know, my friend and I aren't together. I'm actually gay. You can have her, I guess. And I hurriedly caught up with the tour. It was so odd for the rest of the tour, even in the pitch dark basement where supposedly some bodies were kept, I didn't have anywhere near the same reaction as I did walking around the second floor. Hmm. I was in my living room watching TV. It was half past midnight when I decided to go to sleep. I turned off the TV and started walking towards an open door to the balcony where my cat was. I had to get him inside and close the door, but as soon as I reached the door, I saw a black figure just standing outside on the street. My heart started beating fast and I was shaking. I just had that uneasy feeling that this is not normal and that I'm in danger. The figure didn't move. I could tell it was a man, but I couldn't see his face. I was just staring at him for probably three or four seconds before he started to walk. He was moving down the street towards me. He was walking really slowly and he was turning around, looking all around himself. He walked a bit forward and then backwards. He didn't look drunk. Actually, that was the scary part. I went full panic mode. I grabbed my cat and I closed the door. I put my cat on the hallway where in my head he was safe. I stayed in the living room, still looking out the balcony door, but I was hiding behind the wall. I saw the man walk very slowly past my house and he was walking backwards. He was looking all around himself still, but I saw he was gazing at me as well. He was bald and was wearing a blue t-shirt. I've never seen him before, which is also kind of strange because I live in a small town where you know pretty much everyone. When he passed my house, I ran to my room, which is a floor higher than the living room. I looked out the window and I saw him back where he was stood the first time that I saw him. He was walking in the opposite direction. I was watching him and he stopped at some residential blocks. I thought he lived there. There are a lot of new people living there and I don't know all of them yet. Some people that live there come out at night just to smoke and I thought he was one of them, but I was wrong. He didn't enter the building he was in front of. He was just looking at the entrance. He took out his phone and turned on his flashlight to see better and then he left. The whole thing made me think about another creepy thing that happened not long ago. It was nighttime and I was watching TV. The door to the hallway was open. Right outside are some stairs and there's a front door to our house. All of a sudden, I heard someone trying to open the front door very aggressively. My heart stopped. My whole family was asleep, but after I brushed it off as 
was my neighbor coming home drunk and mistaking our door with his, since our houses are right next to each other. He comes home drunk very often, so that wasn't entirely impossible, but the man that I saw tonight makes me question everything. Every night when I'm laying in my bed, I hear someone walk very slowly down my street, but I never bothered to look who it is because I didn't know that this man existed yet. And I know that people take night walks, and honestly, that's why I never really bothered to look outside to check who was walking before. But this man, there was just something off about him. Seeing him just stand there in the middle of the street, looking at nothing, and then walking backwards and looking everywhere, it just kind of makes my skin crawl. My mind is coming up with all sorts of explanations, like he's a burglar just eyeing the houses he's going to rob next, or he's a murderer looking for his next victims, but I know I'm not supposed to judge that quick. I'm just really scared. This happened a few years ago. I was a 23-year-old female and I was leaving my apartment on a Thursday night at 11 p.m. to pick up my boyfriend from work downtown in a large city. I left out the back exit to the alley that I parked in and I saw a car with its lights on right in front of me. This was not, you know, out of the usual as security stayed in this spot on slow nights since there's a 24-hour store on the other side and we were in the back alley. Well, I got into my car... I had backed in, and the car that I had seen blocked me in. At first, I was incredibly confused as a man came out. Then, he gestured to a gun in his pocket. Here's where people would say I could have done so many things, like a horror movie where you know better, but they walk towards the danger. Well, I froze. All I could do is say no, I locked my doors, and I could have hit the panic button. I could have driven into him, pinning him to his car. But somehow, after what felt like an hour, he left. Mind you, the complex is built in a U-shape around our parking lot. If I had made a commotion, I think people really would have come. He simply drove next to the spot over and parked. I sped off and I called 911. I said, I think I just got held up at gunpoint. I was still in shock and I never actually saw a gun. They took my claim with a grain of salt and said that they would have extra patrol in my area. All I knew was that it was a green four-door car and a white man with a beard. I picked up my boyfriend and we came back home. Now a week later is where it takes a turn. I usually picked up some green, which is legal and for my anxiety, every Thursday. I hadn't the previous week. When I called this week, they informed me that I couldn't have friends call and order in my name. This was when a medical card was actually still required. The people at the head shop let me know that a man had given my full name, date of birth, and a home address to the only place I ordered from at my usual time. They explained that a Middle Eastern man with no beard accepted the delivery. I asked when this was, and they said around 11 p.m. the previous Thursday, in front of my apartment. I first asked who the driver was, and I knew them all. 
Then I explained my situation and asked for the number that had called. I was able to talk to the driver who explained to me that a different vehicle and man had picked up my $10 order in front of the building. I then reverse searched the number and found the man who had held up my car. I found him on Facebook. He worked at a Walmart 30 minutes away. His Facebook was riddled with photos of automatic rifles. I called the police and I explained all of this, yet nothing's been done. Alright, so check this out. Whether you actually believe in the paranormal or just really enjoy listening to scary stories in an attempt to scare yourself, this is one of the many paranormal experiences that I've had. Arguably the most terrifying, converting one of the eyewitnesses from a skeptic to completely believing in the paranormal and actually taking it seriously. My friends and I have always been quite fond of going out and doing some urban exploration, or, you know, urbex. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's when you go out and look for abandoned and derelict buildings to explore and photograph. We didn't go out searching for the haunted side of things. We just enjoyed the eeriness and also the beauty of old, abandoned places. Living in Scotland, a lot of these abandoned places are normally surrounded by amazing scenery, from hills and mountains to thick forests and lush fields, so we always made a day out of it when we did go exploring. One house in particular was our favorite, so much so that we had already visited a couple of times prior to this experience. Myself and two of my best friends, we'll call them C and B, decided to go back, but the condition of the place had declined quite rapidly since the last time that we had been, and everything seemed very unstable, but we didn't let that stop us. Finding that our usual entry spot had been boarded up, we felt quite defeated, but decided to look for another entryway. After searching around for a while, we noticed that the roof on one of the lower parts of the house had been damaged by some fire, and it was practically all gone. Now, it wasn't the easiest to get up to, using a tree and each other to do so, but we did finally get in. It was going relatively normal. We were wandering around the inside, searching and admiring the rooms that we could still get into, being terrified by the occasional bird and being spooked by our own footsteps and taking photos of the amazing architecture. However, something was different this time. The whole place just felt off and a little more eerie than it normally did. I've always been what you would describe as mm, spiritually inclined, so I felt this more than what my friends did. One of them was a complete skeptic, so he just brushed it off and said we were over-exaggerating and, you know, making things up. His mind was going to be completely changed after leaving this house. After exploring the top three floors as much as we could, cringing at the spray paint art that the vandals had left, we were on the ground floor just having a chat and discussing how much the house's condition really had declined. We were standing in one of the hallways 
Almost in a triangle formation, I was standing in a door frame with my back towards the empty room, with C to my left and B to my right. I was still feeling a little uneasy, but I didn't give much thought to it. As we were all conversing about the plans for the rest of the day, I felt something on my back. It felt like someone had run their hand down my back. From the base of my neck to the center of my back, I felt a firm, consistent pressure until the pressure tapered off down to the base of my back. It was over within seconds. I felt all the color drain from my face as I frantically jumped forward with a scream. B and C both looked at me in confusion and asked what happened and if I had hurt myself. In a haze of confusion and dizziness, I wasn't able to form any words, never mind describing what I had just felt. I regained my bearings and took a couple of deep breaths before trying my best to explain the sensation of being touched. B's face turned a little pale as she saw how serious I was being. However, C was a skeptic. He laughed and just thought I was joking or that I had accidentally hit something without realizing or maybe a bug had hit me. I knew that wasn't the case because for a split second before it happened, I felt every single hair on my body stand up as a warning for what was about to happen. Being slightly freaked out, B and myself managed to convince C that it was time to leave. On top of what had just happened, it was also getting a little cold. While making our way to the same section that we had entered through, I started to feel a burning sensation run down my back, like someone had taken hot coals or a flame down the back of my shirt. Starting to freak out again, I asked B to check if anything was there. Asking her what was wrong, I automatically knew something was wrong because she didn't give me a response. She was just silent. Next thing I knew, B was calling over C to come and look, which made my anxiety spike up even more. And from the look on C's face, I became increasingly worried. They both nervously told me that there were marks going down my back. Obviously not being able to see it myself, I then asked them to take a photo for me to see. Looking at the photo, there were three distinctive scratches going down my back, exactly where I had felt someone or something touching me earlier. At first, C was convinced that I had done it myself or just caught myself on something, but after examining the scratches more, he determined that that couldn't have been the case. The scratch went under my bra strap, which would have been impossible for me to do without them noticing. At this point, we were all trying to keep our calm while internally freaking out. We tried to make our way out as quick as we could without injuring ourselves. Climbing back over the wall of the house and through the hole where the roof used to be, we collectively walked a few feet away from the house and we stopped to look back at it. Still trying to understand what had just happened, we all agreed that we'd go back to the car and never come back here. The walk back to the car, which took around, I don't know, 20 minutes, was relatively uneventful. Apart from a continuous, uneasy feeling that we were being watched 
were followed and occasionally thinking that we could hear footsteps behind us, it was actually quite peaceful taking in the Scottish countryside. We got to the car where we sat and had a smoke, still trying to completely calm ourselves down. It's safe to say that after that day, C took a long time to process the events, but undoubtedly became a believer. We swore to never come back to this house, but for some reason, we're always drawn back to it. It's like an urge to come back and visit, like an itch that you can't quite scratch. Maybe we're just drawn in by the eeriness or the mystery around that day, or maybe it's something more than that. When I was 16 to 20, I had a boyfriend who was three years older than me. I was in a very bad time in my life at that time because my ex-boyfriend was extremely manipulative, emotionally abusive, and verbally abusive. I was never happy, but he would breadcrumb little bits of happiness, so I always thought that I'd get the happiness back sometime. He lived with his parents, and his bed was in the living room slash family room for quite some time. I'd say for about 60% of our relationship. I started staying over when I was about 17, almost 18, and him sleeping in the living room is important. So, here's the story. This has happened on two separate occasions, and both were at his parents' house when I would sleep over. The first time, it wasn't nearly as bad as the second, but still pretty terrifying. His bed, at the time, was on the right side of the family room, and you could see into the kitchen as well as the front door. One night, I woke up and I saw a glimpse of white in the kitchen, so of course my eyes locked onto it. It was all pretty blurry because I wear glasses, but once I put my glasses on, I instantly felt scared. I saw a little girl in a white dress just walking around in a circle around the island. I thought it was his little sister, so I said, Hey, are you okay? And I didn't get a response. They continued walking, and I just went back to sleep, just thinking about how weird it was. But the entire family was a little strange and off, so I don't know. I didn't think much of it. Until... I told my ex and he said that his little sister also saw this girl, but only on one occasion. I didn't know if they were just messing with me, because he loved to do that to me, but I felt my heart drop and I got terrified. I didn't know if what they were telling me was real or not, but I believed them. Anyways, a year or so passed and I never saw her, until one night when he already rearranged where his bed was. This time, it was on the left side of the room by the back sliding door, and there were couches by where his bed used to be. You could only see the little hallway going to his parents' room, and then partially the kitchen and the couches. I woke up sweating and sleeping on my side. As I turned, I noticed her again. Only this time, she was walking in a circle in front of the couches. She felt closer to me than last time, I could see her more clearly. She was in the same white dress. She was barefoot and had her hair mostly in front of her face, just walking in a slow circle, nearly 15 feet in front of me. 
I got absolutely terrified and my instinct was just to turn back over to my right side and close my eyes with the covers over my head as if she didn't already know I was there. The moment I turned, I felt something get into the bed. My ex was sleeping next to me, but I couldn't find the courage to wake him up because I was absolutely frozen with fear. It was in between me and him behind my body. The family had a small Yorkie and I was hoping it was him, even though I knew from how heavy the crawling was, it couldn't be him. As it got closer and closer, I heard this growl and not any sort of dog growl. It sounded like a wolf who was about to devour me. In about 10 seconds, I could hear it right next to my ear. The growling and the huffing and the puffing. My hair was being blown in front of my face and all I could think about was how do I get out of this situation. I was still turned to my right at this point so I was scared to turn over because I don't know what I was going to see. About five seconds later, the noise slowly faded away as if it was leaving. I finally turned around when I was sure that I couldn't hear the sound anymore and the little girl was gone. I remember staying up for the rest of the night, just silently sobbing because it was that moment that I realized I wasn't asleep and it couldn't have been sleep paralysis, even though for many years I've convinced myself that it was. I was able to move and talk, I just couldn't, out of fear, talk at all this time. I never felt so undeniably scared and felt as if I was witnessing something indescribable. I told my ex the next morning and he laughed at me and told me that I was being a sissy for not turning over. I've told friends and family over the years and my mom swears it was a demon that lived in their house. My mom hated my ex and always thought that he was pure evil because of all the horrible things that he would do and say to me. My boyfriend now believes the same because of how much I remembered about it. I'm still not sure how I feel about this or what I believe because it's hard, you know, witnessing something like that and having a straight answer. I still get the chills every time I think about it and even as I write this. I still find it strange how his little sister only saw it once and she lived there but I saw it twice and only stayed over about twice a week. Thinking back on it now, I felt like it was a sign that his family was possessed or at least were at some point. Every kid, and there were five, has tried to unalive themselves in the past at least once, and even their mom tried when living in that house. They all survived, but I've never heard of everyone in a household doing that before. Every time I walked into that house, my energy would be drained, and I felt depressed until I'd return back to my house. The more I stayed over, the longer I'd feel that way, even while at home. I get spouts of sadness, but I've never felt that way again since I left him. So, the whole point of this was to share my experience and see what others have to say about it. Or, even if y'all had a similar situation happen to you with an ex, or friend, or even family. I've never experienced this after I left him, so I always just linked the demon to his family, or that house.
I have a few ghost stories while working at this venue. I've been working there since January, and it's a regular occurrence that strange things just happen. The first incident that I remember was when I was new on staff. I was doing a close down by myself at around 2am, which is very early considering we're open until 6am, and I was one of two people in the building. The other person was a manager who was cashing up downstairs. It was just us two, and I was slightly on edge because something just didn't feel right. I'm going to try and explain how the club is set up so it makes more sense. The way the club is set up is like a C-shape. There are some booths near the main door on one of the sides along with the female toilets. Across the middle section is some seating and tables and the bar across from the wall. The other section was more booths, the men's toilets, and then a door to the smoking area. Behind the bar, there's a door that leads down a corridor. If you go straight on, there's a fire exit door that's basically used as the staff smoking area slash bin area. And if you turn right, it takes you downstairs to the cellar, which is where the stock and offices are. I was walking near the customer smoking area, sweeping as I went, and I had heard glasses clinking near the entrance to the club. I'd gone around the corner and I could hear it, but the lights were flickering in the booths near the female toilets. Of course, I was absolutely filling my pants because I was the only one upstairs. I'd rang my manager who was downstairs to tell her what was going on and she said, yeah, it gets weird in there sometimes. As she said this, the bar mats that I'd hung on the entrance behind the bar flew off and slapped on the floor. Naturally, I went downstairs to ask what the frick was going on and she said the best thing to do is just to tell the spirits to leave you alone and then they will. I thought that sounded like some nonsense, but I gave it a go anyway, and you know, it seemed to work. The next few incidents have all been very recent because I started doing the opens, so I was the only staff member in the entire building, and there was times that I'd be downstairs in the office and all the lights would just turn off and flicker. Things would randomly fall from a spot that they haven't been moved from or touched, or you'd feel the air change sometimes for seemingly no reason, and I'd usually yell something along the lines of, go away Satan, not today, and then it stops. I ignore it as best as I can, but the scariest one I've had is when the motion sensor light had turned on in the staff smoking area, which by the way I had the door pinned open because it's warm, and I saw a figure walk past. I didn't really know what to do at all. It gets very scary sometimes. It used to be a pub before it was bought out and, you know, spirits haunt their favorite locations from what I've been told, so I suppose that explains it. When I was a junior in college, I lived in a fraternity house with 40 other guys. As you can imagine, getting any personal time for studying, relaxing, or just peace and quiet was, well, beyond rare. That December, before Christmas break, one of my friends suggested that we drive a few hours north. I, I went to school in Michigan. 
to their family's cottage where we could all just unwind before final exams and the much-needed winter break. As we drove up to the cottage, it was picturesque. Snow softly falling, beautiful trees surrounding the property, frozen lake illuminated by the cottage exterior lights. It was just what we needed. Think of a Thomas Kincaid painting. As cliched as it sounds, his family had been coming up to this lake for a number of years and had only recently, like within the past five years or so, purchased this place from an elderly couple that had passed and had lived there their entire lives. Throughout his childhood, they would always pass by this house and remark that it was haunted. Since the folks that lived there were retired, they weren't as active as the other lake dwellers, and being that their home sat a little further off the water and was canopied by trees, it always seemed to be in the shadows and never in the sun, which gave it that additional spooky look and feel. When the couple did ultimately pass, his family purchased it with the intention of building a more modern lake house in its stead. But I digress. So, we pulled into the driveway and trudged up the walkway through six inches of soft, powdery snow. Once we got inside, we immediately started to unload our groceries and began the dinner process, of which I was in charge. The place was cozy, warm, and something you'd expect an older person's home to look and feel like. A fire was lit, warming the place, and I had just started cooking some steaks and shrimp in the kitchen. As college kids, you can imagine the excitement and luxury we felt when we opened their freezer and saw that it was stocked with steaks, shrimp, and chicken. Well, we had been living on mac and cheese, so this was something we were even more excited about. I had just mixed a drink, the fire was warm, and the radio was on. We couldn't have been happier. To set the scene and layout of the property, the house was sitting about 50 yards from the water and on a slight hill. The nearest neighbor was over half a mile away and the drive up was about 300 yards from the road. So we were nestled back in relative isolation. There had also been a steady snowfall that evening, so there was about six to eight inches now of snow surrounding the house and covering the deck. So if, let's say, a squirrel had walked up to the house, its tracks would have been easily seen as the exterior lights illuminated the entire exterior. Even sensor lights were installed along the side walkway. We felt safe as one could be. Now, it's nearing 9pm and we were starting to really feel it and unwind. We poured another drink and the food was nearly done. The smell of cooked steak wafted through the house. We all had these smiles on our faces knowing that we were living the life while the other guys back at school were living on top of each other and dealing with the nightly chaos that only a gaggle of college boys living under one roof can create. The juxtaposition was stark and we couldn't have been happier. Dinner was nearing being finished and the police's every little thing she does is magic was on the radio. This was 1994, so no iPods or anything like that. We were old school and tuned into the local radio station. 
Those were the days when you felt an extra connection when the station played a song that you loved, like you and the DJ were on the same page with what good music really is. And we were feeling it right when the song was feeling it too. We cranked the volume and started dancing around. Life couldn't get any better. A nice buzz, a great meal on the way, and a cozy tucked away cabin, holidays right around the corner, a roaring fire. Man, you know, as a young man who grew up modestly, it was just one of those moments. Until it wasn't. As we cranked the volume up to, well, let's just say pretty loud, we heard the three loudest knocks on the back door. It stopped us. And the police, probably, right in our tracks. It was so obvious someone was at the back door, we all just stared at each other with scared, confused looks. Now, who in their right mind was out on a winter night and at our door? Who could we possibly be disturbing? A chill ran through me immediately because no matter who was at the door, I knew it wasn't going to be a good thing. My friend, whose family owned the place, ran to the back door and came roaring back with a look of just sheer terror on his face and said, Someone's in the house. The back door was slightly open and someone had slipped in the house. I can't describe the fear that gripped me in that moment. We panicked and froze. What should we do? Do we grab the fireplace poker? A kitchen knife? What was this person's intentions? Were they armed? And what were they armed with? Why had they knocked and announced their presence only to slip into a hiding place? I can't stress how loud the knocks on the door really were. It wasn't one of those, like, did you hear that moments? It was a needle off the record moment when you all arrive at the same thought at the same time and realize that something bad is about to happen. We all caught our breath and did a room-to-room -room search armed with household items like mentioned before. By the time we got back to the main room with the fireplace, we glanced outside to see where the snow tracks originated from, expecting to see snow prints from the road or even, heaven forbid, from the woods. But we were stunned to find that the snow was totally undisturbed. The back deck where the door was slightly open showed no signs of anyone that had walked up. The steps, the deck itself, and the walkway leading up were all covered with the same six to eight inches of fresh snow. No one had approached the house from any direction. What the heck was going on here? Well, whatever it was, there was no person in the house. We were stuck in a cabin with something that was very upset about us disturbing them. We quickly all surmised that the old couple that had once lived there wasn't happy about their nightly routine being replaced with loud music and dancing kids. This insight offered us huh, little comfort. After we finished dinner, we all slept in the master bedroom on the same bed. Now, the idea of being alone and disturbing whatever lurked in that house was just too frightening. The night came and went without incident, almost as if the ghost had made its point and was smug in knowing how much we were afraid. In the morning, we packed up and drove out of there in a hurried manner. In the daylight, we all looked back at the snow surrounding the house, 
and it was as pristine as the night before. Not a flake seemed out of place. I will never forget those three loud knocks. Well, it all started one day when I was burning some garbage, which we are allowed to do in our area, and maybe 30 minutes in, I start hearing footsteps and I start feeling like somebody was watching me in the woods behind the fireplace. The only things close to me are a cemetery and a house about a mile away, so no one should be back there. I walked into the woods with my gun for safe measures. I walked around for 45 minutes looking, but nothing, so I went back to burning. Then I heard the footsteps and got the feeling of being watched again, so I went back in. Not too long later, my mom stopped to give me something. She couldn't find me, so she called out and I walked back out of the woods. She asked what I was doing and I told her. I asked if she felt the same and she said no, so at this point I just thought I was going crazy. So I tried to finish burning quickly, but by the time it was done it was about 9pm. Then I went to the side of the shed to grab something, which I can't remember what it was, but maybe it's not important. And that's when I saw it. About 20 feet away from the shed are five trees, and on the middle tree, I saw two elderly people. They looked like they were in their late 80s. They were up the tree, standing on branches. The woman was covered by darkness, so I couldn't see her very well. However, the male I could see. His fingernails were nearly a foot long, and I could only see about half of his face, but as soon as I saw them... I froze for a moment, wondering what the heck was going on. After what felt like forever, I just ran back into my garage where my mom was on the phone with a family member. I sat next to her, contemplating what I had just seen, not realizing I was softly talking out loud. And that's when my mom asked what I was talking about and I told her. And after I was done, we talked a little more together. Then... I saw the male staring at me from the corner of my garage door window. To give some details, the window is about six and a half to maybe seven feet high. Once I saw that, I ran into the house without uttering a word to my mother and I ran into the kitchen. When I got to the kitchen, I saw both of them through the window walking across the yard. That's when I had had enough and I walked to an area with no windows and I just curled up. That's when my mom called one of her friends to come over. Now, mind you, at this point, it's like 11 p.m. on a weekday. She came over and made me recite a few sayings, and we talked for a little while. As soon as we were done, I felt a wave of calm wash over me with some chills. She then went around the house to only do what I would assume would be cleansing it, and every time she would, I would see sheets of light go around wherever she was. She did mostly the uh, doorways and a few rooms, and after about an hour and a half of sitting around while she did this, she was done. My mom took her friend back home, and while they were gone, I sat in my living room, looking all around me. I started to see different colored, I don't know, like balls of light flying around me. Now, also I should say, 
I'm colorblind and I couldn't fully tell what colors they were. That went on for another hour before they started disappearing until only one was left. It then flew towards me and disappeared. I told my mom about this particular incident and she told her friend. Her friend said it was probably just my great-grandfather and that it was nothing to worry about. And nothing's happened ever since. the sizzle of McDonald's sausage. It's enough to make you crave your favorite breakfasts. Enough to head over to McDonald's. Enough to make you really wish this commercial were scratch and sniff. And if you're a sausage person, now get two satisfyingly savory sausage McGriddles, sausage biscuits, or sausage burritos for just $3.33. Or mix and match. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We make USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com bundle. USAA. Restrictions apply.